of the other two. Stratton and Schoenstein. We looked everywhere, sir, but... Never mind. It doesn't matter. Have you gentlemen seen your midterm grades yet? Well, they're not posted yet, sir. I've seen them. Mr. Kroger. Two C's, two D's, and an F. That's a 1.2 grade average. Congratulations, Kroger. You're at the top of the Delta Pledge class. Mr. Dorfman. Hello. 0.2. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. Mr. Hoover, president of Delta House. 1.6. Four C's and an F. A fine example you set. Daniel Simpson Day. Has no grade point average. All courses incomplete. Mr. Blue... Mr. Blutarski. Zero point zero. Now I want you to tell Mrs. Stratton and Mr. Schoenstein exactly what I'm about to tell you now. What's that, sir? You're out. Finished at Faber. Expelled. I want you off this campus at nine o'clock Monday morning. And I'm sure you'll be happy to know that I have notified your local draft boards and told them that you are now all, all eligible for military service. Well? Well? Out with it! It is uh, 5 minutes and 16 seconds after the hour of 11 of this, the month of November in the year of our Lord 2008. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970 The Talker. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson radio program. Uh, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate it. Well, I'm adjusting a switch on my microphone. Let's see how this makes me sound. Why, it's even brighter. This may be too bright. Hold on, I'm going to switch it back. Wait, hold on. Wait, no, wait for it. There we go. That's just enough brightness. All right. It is uh, 503-733-2970 if you'd like to join us today. 503-733-2970. You, want, you should uh, weigh in and whatnot. It's 503-733-2970 if you want to get on board with your comments, questions, clarifications, conventions, convictions, ruminations, ponderings, musings, whatever it is you have today. It's 503-733-2970. 970. Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the absurd, the mundane, the horrifying, the shocking, the terrifying, or any uh, confluence of the above. It's 503-733-2970. You can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. Uh, coming up later on the day, we'll talk to seeing the radio correspondent, Lisa Desjardins. We're now, we are now eight days after the election, and I guess it's crap. There's still, I think there are elections they haven't quite called yet. 
I mean, first Al Franken had... Lo- it's like all my uh, satisfaction at the crushing of Al Franken has just been postponed and delayed and endlessly put off. First he lost, then they weren't sure, then he might have won, then he lost again. Now they're back to not knowing. It's all very frustrating. Tim, do we know? Do we have any late word? No. All right. We have many other exciting things, though. Do we? Yes. Many? Many, many. Would you say we have more of a uh, a bushel of exciting things or a pile of exciting things? A bushel and a pile. <laughs> a bushel and a pile. You're too much. Those are too many exciting things. Can't take it. Uh, all right, so Lisa Desjardins will join us today to talk about, I swear to God, the headline just says, never-ending election. So uh, we'll talk to Jim Roop as well. So we, you had that story yesterday about, I guess, the cops in L.A. are being told they can't booze it up while wearing guns. Yes. <laughs> Which, I don't, I don't even really know how to feel about that, because there's part of me that thinks, well, by God... What kind of a country is this? Where we, you know, the, the, where the cop can't go out, have a, you know, the hard day on the line, putting his life out there on the edge, risking his very existence for we the people. What kind of a country is it where a cop can't take it, you know, as they used to say in the song, with a big iron on his hip and go down to a watering hole and get himself absolutely blotto? I don't know that that's a country in which I want to live. On the other hand, apparently, apparently there have been 61 different arrests this year of uh, cops who were all plastered and uh, I guess waving guns around. Bit of a yin-yang there. Uh, so we'll talk to Jim Roop about that. Uh, we will also talk to a CNN radio correspondent, Julie Walker, uh, who is in New York, I believe, filling in for Steve Kastenbaum. Because now I already, I thought this was already happening. I thought the Connecticut uh, gay marriage thing was already up and running. But maybe not. Well, apparently not. It's supposed to be today. I think it starts today. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that means as of today, it is, it is Massachusetts, Connecticut, and then I, I don't know According to Judge Judy Scheinland, uh, in California, I guess, if you were already married in California as part of a same-sex, uh, same-sex couple, I you guess those... stay married. Well, yeah, she, she believes that those are going to stay uh, legal, and then it's all going to go ridiculous. to the Supreme Court. Seriously. It's all because of the Mormons. Exactly, Tim. That's going to be today's motto. It's all because of the Mormons. Uh, let's see. What else we got coming up today? Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com uh, will join us. We will have the guy that Richie is referring to as... Quote, the Baconese dude, uh, Justin Esch, I believe his name is. Uh, so they, he's the guy from Bacon Salt, because we had Bacon Salt uh, sent to us a while back, and then we had the guy on to talk about it. It's like the six different flavors of salt, because everything should taste like bacon, which is true. That is what really, the, life can be somewhat challenging and complex and filled with all kinds of vagueness and unsettling sort of uh, prevarications. We can all agree on this. Everything ought to taste like bacon. And now everything can. Because there's bacon salt, and they just unveiled bacon A's. So we'll be talking to the bacon A's slash bacon salt guys today. Did I say Mr. Skin? Yeah, Mr. Skin. Uh, we'll do today's top five. Today, top five songs that would accompany the opening credits to the movie of Tim Riley's life. So we did uh, on Monday top five songs that would accompany the car chase sequence in the movie of my life. Yesterday, top five songs that would accompany the opening credit sequence to various movies about Sarah Dillon's life in a variety of genres. And then today... Top five songs that would accompany the opening credits to the movie of Tim Riley's existence. It was a lot of stress doing that on such a short notice. Seriously, I think Sarah broke out in hives yesterday trying to put her... Yeah, I know, I did that in like two hours. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at your list though right here. It's fantastic. And I didn't want it to appear narcissistic, but then I gave up and said, why not? (laughs) God forbid we appear narcissistic on a program in which we ask people to spend four hours of their lives... Really, what you could be doing, you could be going to college instead of listening to us. I mean, you have four well, hours of real-world experience. I'm just saying 20 hours a week. 
I mean, you could probably become a pretty good sculptor, you know, if you decided to put that towards something useful. But instead, you're listening to us, and God bless you for doing so. So, uh, in any event, so I'm looking at your list here, and it is great. I'm not going to give away which song I'm talking about here. There's one of these songs on your list, Tim, that gets played all the time, but it doesn't matter because I still love it. It, it, it. It's never gotten old. Actually, there's two of those. Tim Riley's list today has two songs I've never gotten tired of, no matter how many times I hear them on the radio, and they're on constantly. So. It's because you're about me. That's right, Tim. It's the Tim Riley. The secret ingredient is Tim. You're sort of the uh, you're sort of the monosodium glutamate of, uh, of of musical freshness. All right, Tim Riley is working on the following stories for your edification on this Wednesday. Okay, this is the biggie. A woman found dead in front of Paula Abdul's house died of a drug-induced suicide. She was an American Idol contestant, had been a stalker. The lanyard in her car has a picture of Paula Abdul hanging from a mirror. Her license plate reads ABLLV. That's just one story. All right. I, I don't know if I was supposed to weigh in or not, or if there was more coming no, up. No, you can oh, at okay. any point. Well, I'll wait. Uh, John McCain shares a few laughs with Leno. Mm-hmm. He's probably not laughing after the Inquirer will publish a photo showing Cindy McCain, his loving wife, smooching a fellow described as looking like a washed-up 80s rock star. Excellent. President Bush regrets the mission accomplished publicity stunt. Uh-huh. Michelle Obama's brother, because we don't follow sports, we never discussed this before, but Michelle Obama's brother is the coach of the Oregon State basketball team. It's rumored that uh, the First Lady and the President-elect will attend the team season opener as they travel to D.C. to play Howard University. Fantastic. The government will not prop up failing bank assets as originally planned, which is a good thing, so that's less money we have to spend. But then again... Uh, somebody else gets to cut in line. American Express joins a line of businesses seeking a federal bailout. They only want $3.5 billion, though, which is chump change. Retailers are bracing for the worst Christmas ever. Lindsay Lohan opens up admitting she's a bisexual, not a lesbian. Another desperate housewife star is seriously injured. And obese children have the arteries of a 45-year-old. Really? Yes. Does the 45-year-old know they're missing? All right. Uh, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillman. Hello. How are you today? Hello. I'm doing well. I got a lot of sleep last night, and I've been up for a while today. So it's weird like that. You know, I feel almost too rested. Has Sarah Dillon gotten too much sleep? I've gotten too much sleep. What are you drinking over there? Um, green tea. All right. You know, yeah, green I just had some green tea. I'm glad to see you're back on the caffeine. Good for you. No, there isn't any caffeine in this. Green oh, tea no, is full of caffeine. No, no, uh, this is peppermint tea. Oh, I was going to say. Yeah. Okay, so it's green in color, but not in uh, not in, mm. not in variety. What have you brought us, Richie? Chapstick. <gasps> is this bacon-flavored chapstick? Oh. God bless oh, you. Oh, my God. Is there only one of them, Richie? Tim, it's sealed. You can have it. No, it's okay. Yeah, that's wonderful. What is this? Rick, you have to open it. I want to smell that. Have we received the... Uh, this? Have we received uh, some bacon products from the Bacon Ace Bacon Salt, folks? Oh, my gosh. I'm what is be... this? Uh, the ultimate bacon lover's gift pack. Oh, my uh, God. And it has, like, fake <laughs> bacon ribbon on it. That's wonderful. What have we got here? Oh, it's a... Okay, this is what... So we're going to talk to these guys today. Oh. Uh... We should know, by the way, that uh, they are just sending us this of their own goodwill. This is, of course, not uh, not part of doing the interview. I'll give you 25 cents for that chapstick. We were going to... Really? Yeah. I'm surprised you want bacon-flavored... Cha- You're not going to use it, are you? I mean, I don't care. Don't... Uh, look, no, that me, sounds like it would be awesome. Let me back up for a second. I think it would be great if you did, but it would <laughs> surprise me. I mean, it would be a pleasant surprise. I think it would be a neat social experiment to walk around with a bacon-flavored face. Can I just... A piece of a Dylan in her bacon-flavored face. 
That sounds like some. That sounds like one of those weird sort of off kilter children's books that Tim Burton would write. <laughs> it does. You know, uh, Johnny and the Bacon Flavored Face by Tim Burton, illustrations by Edward Gorey. So let me ask you this right now, and I want you to be honest with me. Are you going to put this on and then find somebody to kiss? Yeah. All right, there you go. You can have it. Bacon flavored lip balm. It's yours, baby. Oh, that's awesome, right? Uh, I'm keeping the uh, I'm keeping the bacon A's over here. It is apparently it is the ultimate bacon flavored spread. Now, Tim, I'm going to give you one last shot of this before I, you know. Right oh here. God. Look at that bacon mayonnaise. All right. Well, no, your, no, I love your expression says it all. Uh, all right, so before we talk about more... Words needn't be exchanged. Sarah's applying bacon-flavored lipstick or uh, chapstick right now. Okay, that is weird. Does it, in fact, taste... Can I smell it? Can I smell your yeah. lips? Smell my mouth. That's a thing nobody ever says. I want to smell your mouth. <laughs> no one ever says that. Let me scrub that pretty <laughs> mouth why. of yours. Let me scrub that pretty mouth. I don't think anybody says that either. Oh, my God, my lips smell like bacon. I'm going to have you say that later on. <laughs> All right, hold on. I'm going to smell this. Ba- but see, you know, I'm You've doing You've got to put some on. You've got to put some on. No, 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 no. But I, uh, but I will say this. Um, that uh, Greg Nibbler came by my office uh, yesterday and was asking me a question about something. And Greg, Nib- Greg Nibbler, who works uh, at one of the other stations here, and he was on the street theme for a bit, and uh, he was an entertaining young man. So Greg Nibbler came by my office. And, you know, if you've been in my office here, you, you know that it's, just, it's filled with bacon stuff. I mean, i got bacon mints, bacon toothpicks, bacon bandages. Uh, you know, the bacon, uh, we had a, a chef who listens to the show, create some bacon-flavored truffles, which are fantastic. Um, so there's, it's all filled with bacon. And he comes in and he sits down and he does that thing that everybody does. He looks down at my desk and he sees the bacon-flavored mints. And, the, the, you know, it's not, they're and not... toothpicks and band-aids. Yeah, I mean, they're not sealed. I mean, the bacon-flavored mint, the tin is open. And he looks and he goes, bacon-flavored mints. And I said, yes, you can have one if you like. And as I, I think I've discussed this before, but there is a very unique male-female split when it comes to the bacon-flavored mints that I have. Um, it, the women and men behave in exactly... Uh, I mean, in, in other words, all women do the same thing, all men do the same thing in terms of this. The women will open the tin of bacon-flavored mints, and they will go... Ugh. And then they'll close the tin and put it away. And I'll say, like Sarah Wagner did this, I said, well, you know, you can have one of those. And they go, uh, no thanks, I don't want a bacon-flavored mint. And then they'll close it and put it away. Every guy who sees the bacon-flavored mints on my desk will pick it up, They'll open it, they'll smell it, and, I, and then, they'll, they'll, then they'll do this. They'll say, what does it taste like? And I will say, it's a bacon-flavored mint. I mean, there's truth in advertising. It's exactly what it says it is. The guys, without exception, will then have some of the mints. They'll toss them in the mouth, crunch them up. They all make a face as though they've eaten something that's perhaps not supposed to be in some Lovecraftian culinary sense. And then every single guy says the same thing. Oh, my God, it's like a mint with bacon in it. And I say, yes, it's a bacon-flavored mint. And then we all look at each other in like a sheepish, you know, silence for a moment, and then they close the tin and put it down. No, I, I had one of those in your office once. They're disgusting. They are. They're, They're uh, repulsive. Because, don't get me wrong, I love mints, I love bacon, but that's sort of a mayonnaise soda kind of a thing. That's, uh, that's some stuff that shouldn't go together. All right, I'm going to... Oh, wow. This, this chapstick smells like bacon. <laughs> I just see it right there. I was the guy. All right, there, there you can have that back. Thanks. All right, this bacon is... I can woo the boys with my bacon-flavored face. Yeah, that's Sarah Dillon. Yeah. I guess it's not so much flavor to smelling. Come yeah. over here, bacon face. <laughs> <laughs> Let me oh, buy you a drink. I like when a dreamy boy to call me bacon face. <laughs> you know, that girl's lips smell like pork. All right. Um, well, in any event, it's 503-733-3970. I was going to talk about some other stuff, but let me just... Let me finish up this bacon-themed conversation by saying... 
I hold in my hands now. I don't know if I brought this into the studio yet. Right here. What is that? In my hands. And I apologize just with everything in me because I don't, I didn't catch the guy's name. Last Tuesday, of course, we did our election party at Grand Central, and it was just, you know, it was a madhouse. And I mean in the best possible way. I mean, it was just packed, and there was a line, and it was a huge, you know, it was a, it was a historic night. Uh, it was a historic event. And so we were, you know, obviously very busy, and we were doing the broadcast on CNN, and we were broadcasting on the radio, and, you know, there was a lot, a lot going on. So a listener came up last Tuesday while we were at Grand Central and handed me, I have it now with me in the studio, it is, in fact, a piece of bacon on which he has A, printed my name, and then he has, he's encased it in what looks to be Lucite. And I can tell that it's actually, that he did it himself because my name is actually, it's not on the outside of this. It's not like it's embossed on the surface. He actually took a piece of bacon, put my name on it in little adhesive stickers, and then sealed the whole thing inside Lucite. So I now have a piece of bacon sealed forevermore inside this block of plastic. So, oh, my God, this is cool. It is fantastic. I'm going to get a photo of it and put it online. Uh, so the listener found me last Tuesday and gave me that, and I swear to God, this is what he goes. He said, now this way, Rick, you'll never be without bacon. I mean, you'll have bacon no matter where you go. So there you go. So I've got Do you want to see it, Tim? Bacon forevermore. Come on, Tim, touch it. want to touch it. Touch my bacon. Touch it. Get that bacon away from me. Right. Touch so my there. bacon, Tim. That sounds a little wrong. So I'd like to, uh, I'd like to thank I'm the sure listener. I'm sure other didn't... guests will enjoy doing that. Tim really wants no part of your bacon, Rick Emerson. So I didn't catch his name, but uh, but thank you so much, whoever it is that gave me this uh, bacon encased in Lucite. It is uh, it's quite possibly the best thing I've gotten all month. All right, it is five zero three seven three three two nine seventy five zero three. Seven three three two nine seventy. Uh what else coming today? Mr. Skin from Mr. Skin dot com will be joining us. Uh Geek Watch coming up today. Cannibal Watch coming up today. Uh Bush Watch coming up today. Uh I've already gotten some emails uh, people asking me about the Shield and Tim and Sarah will be happy to know that uh while you guys don't watch the Shield, there are in fact only two episodes left in the entire series. So you got today and then you One got last uh, thing that you talk about? I'm just saying two more Wednesdays and then there's not gonna be any more Shield discussion. So we got two episodes left. On the 25th, I'm going to a S.H.I.E.L.D. finale party at somebody's house. We're all going to gather. It's going to be all dudes, probably. We're going to gather around and, I don't know, eat beef jerky and, you know, and, I don't know, drink beverages and talk about, you know, bitches or whatever. And then we're going to watch the S.H.I.E.L.D., which is... And I have to say, I was just talking to Joe Cassavetti about this in the kitchen. I do love the S.H.I.E.L.D., and it's one of the best things that's ever aired. I do really strongly feel that it should have ended last season, though. They, they've taken the whole thing just one year too long. They're really having to pad it out, basically. I mean, because this has been one, it's been, like, you know, what, 15 episodes or whatever. And it's they got really about four episodes worth of story this season. And everything else has just been filler. It's been a whole bunch of television packing peanuts, just trying to stretch it out to the length of a season. So if it had ended one year earlier... It'd be even better. Or, and S.H.I.E.L.D. fans in the house will know what I'm talking about, if they had just taken this season, which is currently happening, if they could somehow magically go back in time and flip this with the John Cavanaugh Forrest Whitaker season, that would have really been... That's how they should have ended the S.H.I.E.L.D., is with John Cavanaugh, again played by Forrest Whitaker, coming into the barn and investigating the strike team and Vic Mackey and all those guys. They should have kept it entirely in-house. For the end of the shield, because I have to tell you, I, I I could care less than nothing about uh, this whole saga of David Aceveda and the Pizuela guy and the the Mexican cartel, and it ju- it just interests me not at all. Uh, to me, that the resolution of the shield is all about uh, Shane Vendrell 
and uh, Ronnie and Vic and Corinne and Vic's uh, messed up kid and Claudette Wims and all of that. It really is just about the cops. It is just about the folks who are working at the barn. And all these other extraneous elements are... Just getting in the way. They're getting in the way of the stuff I really care about. That's kind of my whole thing. They're just getting in the way of the stuff that you really want to see resolved as a shield viewer. And I got. And there's only two weeks left. So I mean, even if that final episode is like 90 minutes long or something, it's like they got a lot to pack into it, like two and a half hours. So anyway, um, so next week the penultimate shield, and then the week after that is going to be the uh, series finale. So I mean, they're minor complaints. Still a great show. Uh, not unlike Buffy, uh, went a little too long though. So it's all about knowing when to end that. You know what I mean? I was watching uh, Friends yesterday, and it was one of the later episodes in the series, yeah. and that's another show that needed to end like three years before it did. It just right. got terrible. Like the the dialogue was just so dumb. I just ended up turning it off. I'm like, wow. It's just, this is bad. Well, and that's the thing is that, you know, in those shows, they try to quit sometimes, and they try to walk away, and they just keep raising the money and raising the money and raising the money, and you have to come back. That's what they did with uh, Buffy. Uh, you know, you watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and it is, you know, which... But, but, but Friends is for the reading level of a third grader, Sarah. That's true. that much. This is true. Well, I expected a little bit more from it. I... The, the Friends, I would say, is, uh, you know, Friends was good comfort programming. We'll put it that way. And it still is. I think that's why it's still on so much in syndication. It, you know, you can have it on in the background and it doesn't right. really phase you either way. I think it does. really stupid like it was yesterday. And there, there, you must reach a point, though, on a show like that where they just offer you so much money that even if you know the scripts are crap, you just keep doing it. I was thinking about that today. I won't name the show. Um, the Brady Bunch. It might, sure. It might be on a network that we care about. Um, I'm just going to say that I was thinking about a particular sitcom, which is currently airing on America. American television right now, and I will, I, I will not identify the network or the show or anything. I will simply say it is a um, it is a long-running sitcom starring the obligatory uh, fat, funny guy with the inexplicably hot wife. And I, was, and I was looking, and I was just thinking, like, who who dreams of making this show? You know, what writer, what actor, what artist? Of, look, I don't mean to sound like a snob, but what artist of any caliber says, you know what I dream of doing? I dream of raising myself on a diet of Noel Coward and uh, Mark Twain, and then moving to Hollywood, and then creating the most bottom-of-the-barrel, run-of-the-mill, lowest-common-denominator sitcom I can possibly create. I would. I wish to lower standards across the board. But I guess the thing is, like, the, the check just must be so big you can't walk away from it, right? Right. So, I mean, what are you going to do? I used to think that about Drew Carey. Because, you know, Drew Carey's a really, truly funny guy. Drew Carey himself, as a person, as a comedian, Drew Carey is hysterical. Drew Carey show, not funny. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres. Ellen DeGeneres, truly funny. Truly, uh, I would say, original, charming, witty, all of that. The Ellen sitcom, one of the worst things that was ever on television. That Ellen sitcom, now don't get me wrong, the Ellen's talk show is great. Ellen DeGeneres' talk show is really, really, you know, that's a quality piece of programming. Ellen's sitcom, that was just 22 minutes of placeholding is what that was. No, they, they took an edgy L.A. comedian and turned her into something to appeal to the Midwest. See which also, she wasn't doing in L.A. proper, which everybody knew about. See also Margaret Cho, by mm -hmm. the way. Same, Same thing. thing. Margaret Cho, a uh, hilarious comedian, uh, really... The star of one of the worst things that's ever been on television, which is that all-American girl show she did. But it, it's given her material for the rest of her career to laugh about. Oh, totally. Have you? Well, you've seen Margaret yeah. Cho do her her live show, mm -hmm. and uh, I know that Margaret Cho can be a little divisive or polarizing. I know a lot of people who don't like her. I have to tell you this: I didn't like Margaret Cho until I went to. It sounds like I'm talking about some band no one cares about, but until I went to see her live, 
I went to see Margaret Show do a live show, and it was hysterical. Because she's so full of hate. Oh, yeah. Deliver. That's the thing, right? Yeah, because she's just full of just just black, bitter, horrible, acid anger. And it really is but wonderful. But that's what it takes to make you good. That really, I mean, that's, yeah, the thing is, like, I mean, happy people. The more you hate, the better off you are. <laughs> true. No, it is true. It, I'm, it's good for your mental health, I, and it fills your wallet. I, <laughs> I only laugh because it's absolutely true. We should put that on it. We should put that on sort of a, on a, a little plaque that hangs above the studio. The more you hate, the better you are. It keeps you healthy and fills your wallet. All right. Keeps my teeth pearly white. Um, the more you hate, because CBS cares. Uh, hate is what pays the bills, Tim. Yep. Um, uh, all right. Well, in any event, they can have all the love they want. I'll take hate any day. I don't even know what we were talking about now. Oh. Don't let me forget, uh, today, before the, before the day is out, we got all of this stuff coming up today. i got to try to play one of two things, and I'll let you all choose. I either have this CD in my hands. I'll even tell you what it is. I have this. It is the 60th anniversary CD of the Muzak Corporation. I hold it right here. Does that still exist? That's awesome. I be- well, this is from this 1994. This is from 1994. I would imagine Muzak still exists, although probably uh, they branched out a little bit. I think they probably they may like... have merged with something else. I don't think it's called music anymore. I don't know. I mean, they, they might have done like an RJR tobacco kind of a thing. They tried to, you know, what are you called? We're called uh, Avilia now. You know, just some like generic name that isn't code for we kill children with cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I don't know if Muzak still exists as an actual, you know, company the way that we remember Muzak. But I will tell you, uh, I had to go to, I got to go to, I was, a, I was given the privilege of going to dinner with some of Lara's friends the other night. <laughs> and really one of the high points of the evening, though, was the guy there, the, the, the guy, half of the other couple, used to work right next door to the Muzak company at, in Seattle. And he knew some people who worked at Muzak, and they gave him this, and he in turn gave it to me because I told him what a big fan of Muzak I was, just as, a, as an entity and as a pop culture, uh, you know, uh, the pillar. So he gave me the CD. It is the Muzak 60th anniversary CD, and it's uh, it's quite something. So we've either got to play that, or I've got to play this segment of, have you seen this Mr. T infomercial? Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not sure. It's Mr. T, and he's he's pitching something called the Flavor Wave Oven Turbo. Have you seen this? Is it a new commercial? It, I, I think it, it just started running. Uh, he is actually, he's, he's pitching something called... The Flavor Wave Turbo Oven. And it really is unbelievably great, bad, wonderful, awkward, glorious, horrifying. Because they make him... They, they must have just gotten him in a room somewhere and they said, Look, T, uh, before we actually sign this check, we need you to pledge that you will work in all of your 18 catchphrases into this infomercial about an oven. So I do believe it actually has at one point Mr. T saying... Let me just make sure that I have this correct here. So I wrote it down. He says, A, I pity the fool that does not want to eat right now. And then later on he says, quote, enough of this jibber-jabber. It's time for you to pick up the phone and order your very own Flavor Wave Turbo Oven. Well, of course. He's got to grasp onto that. No, I mean, you know. Like, now, is that a Flavor Wave or a Flavor Wave? I've got to pay the rent. What? A flavor wave or a flavor? Oh, that's a wave. good point, Tim raises. Is it F L A V A? Uh, it is flavor. The flavor wave. It sounds a little <laughs> French to me. Flavor wave is some sort of a hair product, I think. So, uh, all right. Uh, and then uh, we come back. We'll get some of these calls. We got Lisa Desjardins. Uh, somebody about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Somebody about the top five. 
Justin from the Bay Consult Company will join us. Mr. Skin and all of that. Stay there. It's going to be the best show ever. Don't go anywhere. We're Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. This email says, Rick, your ongoing and spontaneous commentary about bacon products and phrases like, I want to smell your bacon-scented mouth, have me in continuous tears and silent laughter as I'm listening to you on my headphones. Thank you for making me cry joyously at work. That's what we do, sir. All right. It's uh, 503-733-2970. So coming up later on today, we're going to talk to the guys from BaconSalt.com about their exciting new product, Baconaze. A's, A's. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. From the Hill, CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Hello there. How are you? Hey, how you doing? I am. Uh, I'm fantastic. How are you? I, I'm good. I'm good. Let me ask you a crazy little hour and a half here. Yeah, go ahead. Well, a couple things right out of the gate. Uh, These are not really current event related in the strictest sense of the word. A, are you a bacon enthusiast? Yes. All right, what is your favorite kind of bacon? Are we saying applewood? Are we saying peppered? Where where do you fall? Oh, gosh, I like both of those a lot. I like the peppered. I like, you know, I like the center cut, of course. Of course. Bacon, uh, pretty much. Is there any bad bacon out there? No. Do you prefer it uh, crisp or do you prefer it a uh, a little more tender? Right in the middle. I don't like it soggy. Don't like it all, you know, flexy. But I, I, I like it some. Not too. Can't be too crisp. But you know, I want to be able to, to, you know, break it and have a crunch. But maybe just on the side. By the way, I would like to commend you on using the word crisp and not, in fact, crispy, which is a made-up word. So. Oh hey, all uh, right. Uh, secondly, uh, are you watching uh, the Shield? Not yet. Not yet. I haven't. I haven't transitioned yet. Now wait a minute. Now when? Now you at one point were watching the Shield. When did that stop? When did you leave but off? I haven't started this season yet. I because of the election. I'm still. Right. I'm still catching up. All right. Okay. I. Uh, I've actually gotten to the point where I just I, because I. I have to kind of get up early on. Tuesday and or Wednesday morning sometimes, and but you know of course the shield is Tuesday night. So I just though going into Tuesday all the way through Wednesday, I have made peace with myself in advance. I am zen with the fact that I'm going to be underrested and overtired and won't really have all of my mental faculties because you know we're heading down the homes after after last night. There's actually now only two episodes left in the entire series. Uh, so I'm just no uh, kidding. Jeez, we're all the way there already. That's what I'm saying. Uh, we got no next Tuesday. Idea. Yeah, we got next Tuesday, and then the 25th is the final episode of the Shield. So I gotta, I, and I can't not oh. watch it. I gotta be, I gotta be watching it as it happens. It can't be put off. Right, Why? Well. I had no idea. Well, as you get, uh, as you get caught up, I will be curious to know your thoughts on that. Okay. All right. I'll work, I'll work, I'll work on it. All right. Um, so it just says here, it says unending election is actually the little slug here on the CNN prep sheet. That's because right. we're now eight days away. Is this about that business of North Carolina still not picking a president? North Carolina has picked a president. They've uh-huh. gone for uh, Barack Obama. Okay. Well, so that's that's good news for go. all the North Carolina listeners out there. All right. And so where, but what what yeah, remains to be uh, what remains to be uh, to be to finalized? Okay, Missouri has yet to uh, pick a candidate for president. Still working on that. But there's three Senate races out there. Uh, your neighbors to the north, Alaska, in fact, today are beginning the absentee ballot count. They've had these absentee ballots since last Tuesday, uh, and early votes as well have not been counted yet in Alaska. They have they decided they want to go. They went vote by vote and cross-checked. Uh, the names on the vote, you know, the registry of the vote with the registration in the precinct. So they had to do that for about 70,000 votes, yada, yada. Essentially, it, they're starting the absentee ballot counts now. It's a big deal because um, those 70,000 early and absentee votes 
could easily swing um, either of their two elections that are up for grabs, their congressional race, um, and which I think has a difference of uh, near 10,000 votes, or the Senate race. Ted Stevens, Uncle Ted, he is now ahead by about, uh, I think, uh, I've got to check, a very, very small margin, just just a couple thousand votes is what he's got right now. So uh, the absentees could help him or hurt him. We're not sure. Why did you just call him Uncle Ted? Uncle Ted, that's what they call him in Alaska. Uh, they, okay. he's, he's known as Uncle Ted because he's, he's been pretty much, he's been their senator from the start. I didn't know there was some sort of Freudian projection. No, <laughs> might be, I don't know. Uh, Maybe for the entire state, I don't know. And, and I've been reserving my celebration here. Has Al Franken finally officially lost? No, oh, no. Come he, on. He's a, it's it's going to be a while. In fact, he, they, that is an unbelievably close election. Uh, that is, you know, Gore Bush style in Minnesota right now. In fact, out of three million votes cast, uh, and Norm Coleman, the current senator, is ahead of Al Franken by 206 out of 3 million. All right. I, Let's here's, be close. I, a couple of things. I, first of all, you know, color me. Also, d- Georgia also is in the mix as well. I, I, I guess I don't understand in 2008. I mean, I guess maybe some people are still voting with, like, punch cards or something. I don't, it, I'm not saying that, the, you know, that you shouldn't recount if the outcome is in doubt, but I guess I don't understand, technologically speaking, why the outcome is in doubt at this point. I mean, shouldn't you be able to just... Uh, run the things through, and then the machine tells you the number, and you get the same number twice in a row, and you're good. And if you don't ever get the same number twice in a row, hasn't anybody, doesn't that sort of trigger a discussion at some point about just going back to like putting a big X next to a guy's name? <laughs> right. I mean, why, why, how can it possibly take this long? Well, I think the, the fact that they're really just starting the recount in Minnesota. They, they did sort of an initial, I don't know if you call it recalibration or uh, kind of their initial look over the votes. It wasn't the official recount yet. It was sort of um, essentially the first numbers we got in Minnesota, for example, were unofficial numbers. And for, we're not exactly clear what happened, but somehow between that first unofficial count that we were getting toward the end of election night and toward, let's say, three or four days ago, um, Al Franken picked up several hundred votes and got much closer to shooting range on Norm Coleman. Now, now that you know a lot, that can have to do a lot with the processing. Maybe they found a big pile of votes they hadn't counted. It's hard to say. Uh, but the recount actually hasn't started yet, and and that under state law you have to recount when you're within in Minnesota half of a percentage point. And I think they're within, um, you know. Not, I'm not sure they're even within a tenth of a percentage point. It's, it's much closer than that. It has like a, a few hundredths of a percentage point. So I say, law, they've got to do this recount. Uh, you know, and so you, my friend, need to quibble with the uh, legislature. You this. will be interested to know, by the way, that I've gotten. Uh, I somehow, I think it's indicative of how badly the conservatives took it in the shorts this last election. That the number of, you know, I'm on a lot of spam lists for things, and I get letters from just all kinds of political groups and action groups and whatever. But the number of uh, like uh, since Tuesday, I don't think I've gotten a single unsolicited you know email from any sort of a liberal action group. But the number of emails that I've gotten from like the conservative family issues Liberty Council forum or whatever has multiplied by I would say a factor of five. In the last 24 hours, I have no lie gotten no fewer than five emails from wait for it, Michael Reagan. Telling me, screaming about the fact that, quote, liberal votes are mysteriously appearing for Al Franken. So it's all very, I just, my loyalties are so, so torn because I like to see people like uh, Michael Reagan irritated. On the other hand, the idea of having to listen to the sleepy, whining, infantile voice of Al Franken, uh, you know, for any number of years is just... It's just painful beyond words. I don't even live there. So, um, all right, let's see. Uh, what else? And then Georgia vote, Georgia has a runoff on December 2nd. 
And then we've got we've got four congressional races that are still up for grabs. Oh, My favorites, God. there's two that are 50-50 splits almost exactly. i got to tell you, that makes Oregon look positively, blindingly efficient, like with, yeah, the, with, it, the, with the Smith-Merkley thing. It does. It does. It does. I know you guys were, it took what, uh, how long was that, two, three days? It was yeah. Say that, yeah, it was uh, yeah last Thursday that that got called. All I know is I got an email from you late Tuesday night slash early Wednesday morning at like 4 a.m. saying, I wish your state would pick a damn senator already. <laughs> In a moment of unjournalistic candor. It's true. I was staying up, I, you know, I, you know, West Wing style. I yeah. was staying up to watch the good races, and I was betting on Oregon to come through for me that yeah. night. Yeah. I really thought you would. Well, sorry. Now we'll try to do better next time. All right. So I guess there's a bunch of uh, I don't know. I want to say standoff, but I know there's sort of differing differing thoughts on this uh, this bailout of the auto industry and. I can't take credit for this for this thought. This is actually Tom Likas, who does the show after uh, after us on the station. Um, he was talking about Circuit City closing, and I know DHL uh, is either went under or is going under. There, I actually heard a discussion at the front desk here yesterday at CBS where they were trying to figure out exactly who's going to deliver all of our packages from now on because DHL was gone. I, I guess they called DHL for a pickup, and DHL is like, ah, sorry, we're all gone. Call somebody else. So. But but Likas had made the point. He said, okay, you know why why isn't you know the government handing out money to Circuit City? I mean, Circuit City's a big company, employed tens of thousands of people, was a very large presence on the retail circuit. Uh, you know, had a significant uh, you know had a significant chunk of the American economy. Why aren't they getting a bunch of cash from the government? It's a fair question. Who who gets the cash and who doesn't? Doesn't doesn't who doesn't? Um, I think probably the reason Circuit City is not even in contention is because they're a retail outlet. They're not. They're, they're not manufacturing. They don't. They don't have um, kind of the, the biggest gains to the economy are from the earliest point in production. So a retail outlet, eh, it, it really isn't going to. Um, it will affect a lot of jobs, no doubt, but it's not going to affect the massive numbers of jobs, kind of there's no trickle-down force. It'll be people at Circuit City are the ones who will be laid off versus in the car industry, uh, you, you've got people at the manufacturing plants, which is what everyone's worried about now, but down the road, then you've got all of the car salesmen, you've got people, honestly, repairmen, people who repair, care for those cars, uh, you know, there's whole sorts of spillover industries that come out of the American car industry that they're worried about. Can I ask you a question? And I yeah. and I and I don't mean to make this sort of a big, broad interrogative statement, but look, uh, we're always going to need cars. I mean, at least for the foreseeable future. I cannot see a time uh, in America where we're not going to need cars. So it seems like, by definition, this is just my take on it. By definition, if the government or whoever just said, "Look, you know, better luck next time. Learn how to run a company properly. Goodbye." And let the auto industry uh, just go boom. Well, clearly, we're still going to need cars. So mm. the, the market will fill that vacuum. It's not like we're not ever going to be able to get a car again. If the auto industry as it stands now is just told by the government, well, you know what? That's what you get for running your business poorly. Uh, you know, so uh, to pack your crap and leave. Somebody will fill that void, mm -hmm. make and sell cars to the public, and things will right themselves. I, I don't. I don't understand why there isn't at least some discussion of that notion. I, I agree. I think. I think it's. I think it's something that's worth being debated. I think though, the numbers are so scary across the economy, and the car industry is is one of just a few um, large manufacturing industries uh, that that have such kind of deep infrastructure in America and have such uh, kind of a profound. 
um, not just American roots, but American impact, impact on the American economy. There, there are others. But, but you know, the car industry, since there are several manufacturers involved, it's not just like Boeing, uh, which I think also would be something, a company that they would have to look at to help if, if Boeing started getting uh, in as much trouble as the car agencies, as car manufacturers have. But I think that um, the advantage that car makers have and the reason that this debate happens to come up, which I think is a very legitimate economic debate, um, is that, it takes so long to fill that gap. If if these guys all go under, it, it really would take five, seven years uh, to regrow that kind of industry. I mean, there are companies like Tesla uh, that's trying to build electric cars in Tesla. California. Hey, how about the Tesla? You know, and, and they're getting going, but, you know, they still have less than, like, 100, 200 employees. They're not ready to fill this kind of gap yet. All right. And, and so I think that that's the advantage these car makers have is it's kind of like them or no one right. for five or seven years. Um, we're going to have to bring the curtain down on this. Yep, my, yep. My, my final note, and then we'll have to continue this uh, the next time. Are you on tomorrow? I am. All right, we'll continue with then. Tim, Tim Riley uh, in the news department here wanted to, wanted to note that uh, tax rebates for buying uh, gas-guzzling cars are, as we speak, still in effect, which uh, certainly seems like a, uh, not a not a step in the right direction anyway. Um, okay. So I, I hate to say that and just leave it out there. I just um, So sure. we will undoubtedly have many opportunities to discuss the economy in the future. Fantastic. Uh, all right, enjoy your day. We will talk to you very soon, okay. Lisa. Thank yeah. you. There you go, Lisa Desjardins, ladies and gentlemen. Wonderful, excellent. We're going to get to Julie Walker in just one moment. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What up? Hey, um, well, I wanted to call and clarify. The the bacon bar was meant to be your nameplate for your desk. Oh, there you go. So uh, you are uh, just Corey. All yeah. right. So, Corey, this is, so you are the guy that gave me this. Now, is this Lucite? What is this bacon in? It's it's, a, it's like a plastic resin. It comes liquid. All right. And you put a, you know, mix some chemicals in, and it slowly hardens. Like and... a polymer resin. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, okay, great. So thank you That's so much. Perfect. I'm gonna... It'll fit on your desk because you already have all the other bacon stuff on your desk. It says Rick Emerson on a piece of bacon. Uh, we're going to put it on my desk uh, in, uh, in, uh, you know, in a few hours. I'll go up and mount it. All right, thank you, sir. Awesome. You're doing the Lord's work. Well, here's the thing, too, is when that stuff cures, it gets really hot. Uh-huh. And I had cooked that bacon ahead of time, and yeah. it actually started to cook it again. While it was that explains that why plastic, there's a little so, bubbling inside. Yeah. yeah, it's actually frozen in cook, mid cook. <laughs> You're the best person who's ever lived. Thank you, sir. Yeah, have a good day. Thank you. All right, uh, we're gonna get uh, Julie Walker in in just one moment. I, there is a let me find the breaking news. There actually is a little bit of breaking news. We're gonna give you the headline right here. Then we'll get to Julie Walker, who's being very patient with us. But I, I got to get to uh, this. We uh, Sarah, am I up over there? This is Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth at Breaking News. Breaking news story. This just in. The tales are sketchy. But Jimi Hendrix experienced drummer Mitch Mitchell has been found dead in a Portland hotel. Once again, Jimi Hendrix experienced drummer Mitch Mitchell has been found dead in a Portland hotel. We'll have more details as soon as they become available. All right, so there you go. So uh, we will begin the uh, new news hour here in just a few. We'll have more details on that as they come in. So that is uh, just breaking news here on CBS. All right, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from New York City, CNN Radio correspondent Julie Walker. Hello there. How are you today? I'm good, thanks, Rick. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you for uh, being patient. I know we're running a couple minutes behind here, so uh, thank you for indulging my uh, rather elastic sense of time, Julie. Sure, no problem. Um, so I had thought, and, and I guess uh, like with so many of my thoughts, it was just incorrect. I thought that gay marriage in Connecticut had already had already happened, but I guess maybe it had already been decided or voted upon, but it hadn't actually taken place. Now that starts today in Connecticut, gay marriage. Am I right? That is correct, and you're you're right on all counts because um, okay, the state always had the state had civil unions for quite a while, 
And then four years ago, there was a, a challenge made by actually um, um, some people, one of which I spoke to, and they wanted the right to have full uh, marriage, just like any other couple. Right. So that case worked its way through court for four years, and about a month ago, a little over a month ago, the Connecticut State Supreme Court sided with the plaintiffs and is allowing same-sex couples to marry. And then the, this morning, the judge there um, signed the order. So it is official. It is official, actually. And so uh, a couple questions. First of all, is there going to be, do you anticipate a, an influx in Connecticut of folks from other states who want to get legally married somewhere, can't do it in their home state, and, you know, and just as they've been doing in Massachusetts, they go to Connecticut because they figure that that is going to be, you know, that's going to be an easy way, you know, to get that knot tied now? Well, the state isn't sure. I mean, they're, they weren't bracing for a lot of people to try to get licenses or get married today. Um, they have already uh, handed out from the time that the state accepted civil unions uh, a little over 2,000 civil union licenses. Um, but in terms of people rushing to Connecticut, right. we haven't heard that that's going to happen. No. So. I'm just, I'm just uh, hit the number. Now, there, there is, uh, people will talk about the full faith and credit clause, which uh, states in some interpretations that what is legal in, in one state must be considered legal in another state, you know, certain restrictions notwithstanding. So if somebody goes to Connecticut or if somebody lives in Connecticut, a gay couple, they get married, then they move to, uh, you know, Wyoming. Uh, what, what is the status of their marriage if they're married in Connecticut and move somewhere else? They'll need to check with Wyoming. Um, <laughs> to be honest, uh, for, for legal reasons, I don't know the answer to that um, because, like you said, not every state honors other states' um, marriage license, um, licenses. So, um, but this is a marriage license; it's not a civil union. So, I don't, you know, I sorry, I don't know the answer to that. It, well, it, it actually might be one of those things that you know it may, may take a court case. It just it does seem like you know as we're seeing in California right now. Uh, you know, the, the folks on both sides of the issue just continue to, to sort of dig in their, their heels. So it, it seems inevitable that this will end up before the U.S. Supreme Court. I mean, there's, just, there's no way it can't. Uh, that just that seems like a matter of if not, uh, or of uh, when, not not if. Well, this particular ruling in uh, Connecticut cannot be appealed because it went to the state's highest court, which is the state Supreme Court. So for Connecticut, that's it. This is the end of the road. Um, you know, you're, it's interesting that you bring up California because um, some of the people involved in the Connecticut case right. feel that on the heels of Proposition 8, um, which, of course, you know, made it um, um, reversed uh, uh, same-sex marriage in California on the heels of that proposition, that this is a victory for um, gay rights. And so, just and I guess my my final question would be to whatever extent you can speak to this, because you know we because of our proximity to you know to California and you know, we've been talking a lot about Prop 8 just like everybody has. You said that in Connecticut, this the gay marriage uh, law that you know went all the way to the state supreme court. Does that mean that they couldn't do in Connecticut what they did in California? In other words, that that uh, they can't in introduce some sort of uh, amendment to ban it. That uh, that would be pointless. It, it seems that way because this is, um, you know, in California, it's, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to go to the state Supreme Court right. now. So uh, with this in Connecticut, from what I was told by the lawyers uh, that argued the case, this is it. And, in fact, in court today, that's one of the things that was discussed, that, this, that there are no appeals. This is it. Uh, because it went to the state's right. highest court, um, it, it, 
this is the law that will stand. As they uh, as they sometimes say, the uh, the Supreme Court is not uh, is not last because they're right. They're right because they are last. So, all right, Julie Walker, uh, thank you so much. I appreciate you uh, taking a few moments with us today. Oh, you're more than welcome. I thought we were going to go on, but uh, okay. Unfortunately, we've got a little bit of breaking news here in Portland that we've that we've got to get to. So we will do it again at uh, at some point in the near future. We have not heard the last of this, I'm sure. So thank you, Julie Walker. From CNN Radio. There you go. Um, yeah, we have uh, some of this. Do we have more detail on yes, this? Yes, I do. All right. So let's once again, I will. Uh, we'll go to Tim Riley with breaking news at the Ministry of Truth. Jimi Hendrix's drummer Mitch Mitchell has been found dead in a Portland hotel. Mitch Mitchell died of natural causes. That, according to the Multnomah County Medical Examiner, he was found dead at 3 a.m. this morning in his room at the Benson Hotel in downtown Portland. The examination will determine the exact cause of death. We'll find out later this afternoon. Mitchell was touring with the Experience Hendrix Tour, which appeared on that November was, 7th at just, the Arlene, Con- uh, Arlene Schnitzer Concert They Hall. just played here. It, is the, it was the last stop on oh, the West Coast wow. portion of the tour. The last stop. So once again, Mitch Mitchell found dead in his hotel room at the Benson. 3 o'clock this morning, he was 61 years old. Apparently dying of natural causes. We'll have a, uh, an updated report later on this afternoon from the medical examiner's office. All right. This was the last stop of this West Coast tour. Wow. All right. Well, more on that and other stories. We return momentarily with Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Don't go anywhere. Finest bumper music. It is the Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Still to come today, Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. We're going to talk to uh, the guys from Bacon Salt about their new product, Baconaise. I'll play a bit of this Mr. T infomercial, which is uh, quite possibly the greatest infomercial that's ever here. Uh, we'll have Tim Riley's top five. Top five songs that would accompany the opening credit to the movie of Tim Riley's life. Jim Roop from CNN and more. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, this is the aforementioned Tim Riley. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Breaking news. The Jimi Hendrix Experience drummer Mitch Mitchell has been found dead at the Benson. The Multnomah County Medical Examiner's Office says 62-year-old Mitch Mitchell likely died of natural causes. His body was found just after 3 o'clock this morning at the Benson Hotel. An autopsy is scheduled for today. We should have more details later on this afternoon. Mitchell had been playing with the Experience Hendrix Tour that made its last West Coast stop in Portland at the Schnitz on Friday night. Mitchell and bass player Billy Cox backed Hendrix with generation-defining sounds of the electrified psychedelic blues. The Experience played behind Hendrix at Woodstock and the Isle of Wight festivals in the 1960s. Uh, Sorry. Have my mic off there for a second. A couple of things. A, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, well, let me just say, Mitch Mitchell is Mitch Mitchell. Uh, so he's dead. Uh, they they found him at you said the Benson. Yeah. And Tim said the greatest thing during the break. Tim said, "Well, if you have to die, at least die in a four-star hotel." Absolutely. Which I guess you know one doesn't wish to be found dead at some twenty-dollar a week flop house. Um, 
So they played their last show on, you said it was Friday? Friday. Friday. Uh, and I actually had driven through downtown and seen the line, which was just immense. I was lying around the block to see that show. Um, and I think, I think I don't know about this, I think Kink uh, might have put that on. But um, it, it's interesting that that was Friday, and yet this is Wednesday, and he's, uh, you know, and he's still here, unless he was, you know. Uh, Somebody finally missed that he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Are you going to get this breakfast from the hall? You know, and then, no. You haven't picked up the Oregonian in three days. <laughs> the, uh, I, I mean, soon. It, nah, nah, it's probably not, though, because he probably died Friday. That's true. So, I mean, really, too soon would have been Monday. Today, presuming he died Friday, today, just in time. Um, so... I don't even I don't even know know where to go with this uh, from here. Um, although I thought, who would you say was the bass player? Did you say Billy uh, Cox? Yeah, Billy Cox. Now see that I'm not like the world's biggest Hendrix fan, but I, that sounds wrong to me. I thought Noel Redding was the uh, was the bass player for the Jimi Hendrix Experience. I I, I mean I don't really know. I, I could be wrong. We need about someone that. who knows about rock and roll music in here. I uh, I'm kind of a casual Jimi Hendrix fan. Hendrix is one Maybe of those guys. Lisa knows. Lisa. Lisa who's sitting in the office right now. Lisa Wood. Oh, Lisa yes. Wood? Yeah. Maybe. Um, come in here if you're listening, Lisa. I know she is. Uh, Lisa Wood, if you're listening, come on in and uh, share your thoughts on Jimi Hendrix. Um, so uh, it's weird also that he was only 62. I guess I would I guess I would have imagined him being a lot older than no, that. No, he joined the band when he was 20. Wow. Boy, it's, you know, I was going to say, you know, you have all these weird conflicted thoughts when you hear that a guy is 62 and he's... You know, and he's touring in what is basically a, what is basically a cover band, mm-hmm. but then it's a cover band playing songs of the band in which he was a member, and I guess that itself can seem a little pathetic depending on who you are. Like if you're those Creedence Clearwater Revisited guys, I mean that's just that's no way to support your family. I mean how can you how can you be in Creedence Clearwater Revisited and just and and even look yourself in the eyes as a man? But this is a, I guess a little different because it's. I mean, because Hendrix really was just a, he was a force of nature. He was just this, I mean, it's impossible to overstate. He, again, even though I'm not, I'm kind of a cat. Whoa, hello. Well, all right. Oh, I, Please I was, don't uh, do that. <laughs> that was freaking me out just now. That was, wasn't it? I thought my brain was collapsing in on itself. I thought that the walls of my consciousness had finally started to, uh, to tumble. Um, Lisa Wood appearing in the studio. Um, but it's really weird to sit at my desk and hear my name called out like that. Sort of like Scooter on the Muppet Show. <laughs> like get you, they're like you're being summoned. Three minutes to curtain. Uh, I will intercom. say that I am a, you know, I'm kind of a, I guess more than a casual Hendrix fan, but less than less than a fanatic. And Hendrix is one of those guys that that inspires a lot of uh, fetishism, you know, in in dudes and primarily dudes who themselves play the guitar. Because he is, he was just this sort of. What did Eric Clapton call him? Eric. I mean, I'm talking about it like Jimi Hendrix himself just died. But I mean, but, but Clapton said that he was sort of this like blues musician from Mars or something. So, I mean, I guess you know, I guess I've gotten older too. I've become a little more flexible about things like that. I've become less of sort of an a-hole purist about things like touring with a tribute band to yourself. I guess you know, if you if you weren't around to see it the first time, or maybe you were, but you want to see it again. I mean, I guess there's worse things to do than that, than bringing bringing that music to people. I guess that's a you know, I guess that's a that's a that's a reputable and respectable way to make a living, unless you're a Stu Cook. Well, and to be fair, they were paying tribute to Hendrix, so I right. think that probably they just saw the value in that. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, look, I mean, if, if you're 62 and you can make what I imagine was a pretty <laughs> comfortable living. Going on stage and playing stuff you know by hand, and you never have to learn anything new. Mm-hmm. I mean, hey, there's worse jobs. With people like Buddy Guy and Mike McCready. Totally. And, yeah, totally. Uh, all right, Lisa Wood, uh, promotion director for KUFO and host of Viva La Luna uh, <laughs> Sunday nights on KUFO. All right. Uh, I have a little bit of him uh, playing the drums here. Let's listen to this. Right. This is uh, Mitch Mitchell. 
back in his early days. Look at this. Oh, yeah. Wow. Awesome drummer. This is uh, Mitch Mitchell, is Hendrix's drummer. <laughs> Do we know where this is? I'm looking here. Uh, that's pretty. You know, and I have to tell you that I, I think I've reached a point in my life where I never again need to hear drum solos. <laughs> but, I think so too. But, but I will say, a, I'll still take a drum solo over an interminable guitar solo. Mm. And b, there are certain guys who. How do I say this? I I, I don't mean to, it's hard to say this without sounding like I'm being without sounding like I'm being condescending. Cause I'm certainly not. I recognize that when you are a percussionist, there's billions of ways to 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 play percussion, mm-hmm. and it, and it is a very you know doing it well. I mean, there's you know it's a rarefied art in some ways, making but. Tonally speaking, drums can be something of a limited instrument mm-hmm. because it's not like a guitar where there's you know whatever there's how many notes and chords and whatever. So the so so for guys who can take drumming and make just that into its own sort of compelling musicality. Mm-hmm. Something to be said for that. And not a lot of guys could do it. I mean, Ginger Baker from Cream did it. John Bonham did it. Uh, you know, and you get the guys like, uh, you know, guys like Buddy Rich or Gene Krupa, mm-hmm. of course. Um, so you are... I would you know, put John Bonham near the top of that, heap, though. Oh, yeah. In fact, Keith I Moon. We got a Keith Moon. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we got to do like a top five drummers list uh, like tomorrow. <laughs> um, so you, uh, I don't know how much of a Hendrix fan you are. Huge. Um, okay. So... I was really sad when I heard that. So bass player or bass player for Hendrix, I thought it was Noel Redding. Yeah, so did, I heard you say that, and so did I. But it, they also... Jimmy was famous for kind of just pulling people, like maybe he pulled... Somebody else in at some right, point. Right. I don't, you know, I mean, that was the experience, but I know he also played with other people at some times. So. And uh, so here's a dumb question. Is it, uh, I guess, as just sort of a casual Hendrix fan, I guess I've lived my whole life thinking that they only really ever put out like three albums, but maybe that's not true. Well, there's like the three studio, you know, records. like when you buy the, yeah, when you buy the box set, like right. the box set that I have is, uh, I think there's four discs, but there's a lot of live stuff. Right, so yeah, right. there's not a lot of the stuff that you find out there is, is live concert footage right. and, but official albums, not that many. You yeah. would be, yeah. People, I think expect that there's a bigger catalog. And it was, uh, and they were a, a power trio for the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guys. And I think that Clapton's, uh, analogy is perfect because yeah. he is, he's like this otherworldly I don't even. I can't even get my head around what he did on the guitar. Like it's just amazing. I almost opened my mouth to say we should ask Mitch Mitchell, but uh, <laughs> we, we we can't. Uh, Maybe all, Noel Redding. All of Clyde do that. Is Noel still around? Uh, <laughs> I think Noel Redding is think alive. Is, yeah. uh, I mean, it would be it would be interesting to to ask ask musicians who have played behind guys like that because again, mm-hmm. we just you know, you know Mitch Mitchell, obviously a talented drummer. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest. The reason, you know, but he's on he's on stage with Hendrix, who is yeah. just iconic. Who's just from another world. Mm-hmm. I wonder what it is when you are a guy like Noel Redding or Mitch Mitchell, and you are on stage, or me, or even when you're meeting the guy like at the audition room, mm-hmm. and they're like, uh, you know, uh, Noel, this is Jimmy. Jimmy, yeah. this is Noel. Jimmy plays guitar. <laughs> you know, well, let's hear something then, and you know, and just and then, plug it in, and then. <laughs> <laughs> Clapton uh, told the greatest story about Hendrix and seeing the original Hendrix, uh, the original experience band of which Mitch Mitchell was a part. He told this great story about seeing Hendrix at, I think, Hammersmith Odeon. Oh, God. And it was Clapton, 
and Townsend sitting oh, together. Oh, man, that's awesome. And I love stories like that anyway because <laughs> because you sort of love, I mean, and, and you know, Tim and I have, have sort of media versions of this where you think about, like, you think about, the, uh, you know, um, uh, about Edward R. Murrow and Walter Cronkite, you know, and those guys all sitting around at Toot Shores, you know, like, or reminiscing about when they broadcast during the Blitz from London. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, you think, like, how insane it is that these guys were legends and mm-hmm. icons when all just kind of get together and hang out. What are you doing? I'm playing yeah. poker at Edward R. Murrow's house tonight. Um, we're going to see Jimi Hendrix. Totally. And so, you know, the idea of, of Clapton ringing up Townsend going, hey, do you want to go see a show? And yeah. they had heard about this guy named Jimi Hendrix. Yep. And they hadn't heard him. because There's no internet or, you know, whatever. And he hadn't been on the radio. They just heard of him. That was how it kind of happened, I think. And Clapton tells this story of sitting in the front row. He's like, well, we got tickets. And... <laughs> Which I love the idea of Not Clapton for, I'm sure. walking up to the box office like, one, please. <laughs> but uh, Clapton and Townsend sitting in the front row, and Hendrix walks out, mm-hmm. and he's just like, you know, I, I am Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. He plugs in, and then just, you know. That was how he spoke. And he said that by the end of, of the first song, Clapton and Townsend said they were actually holding each other. <laughs> Like frightened children, and so they were holding each other and very nearly weeping because wow. they just saw their own irrelevancy on the horizon. It was like we just saw ourselves becoming totally pointless. That guy's gonna put us to death. Yeah, because he was just you know this this uh, they called him the what did they call it great mad uh, great mad blues playing sex god from Mars. <laughs> he, he did. He was very. He put off a really high sexual energy like i'm not an active i don't like sit around and listen to jim hendrix a lot i love the blues but i just appreciate him so much yeah. like and when i do listen to it i'm just like god that is so good but there's there's stories that they were that that noel and mitch were more hired guns than any like they didn't right. hang out they weren't right. like homies they didn't you know they weren't like yeah we need to make music together it was like you know, I need a drummer. Yeah, you need to play with this guy, and then how can you not play Man. with that guy when you see him oh, play? That's pretty great, though. I mean, that's yeah. a, as somebody asked Ringo one time about that. They said, uh, they said, how do you feel about being asked to join the Beatles? And Ringo said, well, I feel like the lad who won the pools. I mean, really? I mean, that's yeah. like you know, what if yeah. you had, what if you hadn't been home when they called? I mean, that's a that's a bad scene. So you don't blink to reference Sarah Palin. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, by the way, I have the Hendrix sex tape. If you ever want to watch it, uh, it's not him. What? I you lie. No, uh, you they, it like one that? of our friends frame in the frame. office got like a a porn gift basket. <laughs> I think we've all gotten a porn totally gift re-gifted it to me. <clears throat> Big was, that, Jim. was that from Richie? For, no, it was Big Jim. <laughs> he like re-gifted it to me for my uh, bachelorette party, and right. so of course the group of us were like, "No way!" And we yeah. went home and put it on, and it was the most ridiculous video. It's the 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 groupies right, mostly right, just talking, right. but the footage. It's a dude that you can tell very obviously was like, how much can I look like Jimi Hendrix to get totally laid by these two <laughs> He, It's not him. He looks uh, a lot like him, but it's not well, him. Fair enough. I don't think. Uh, it says the voice of Hendrix's sex authority, Lisa Wood. Yes. All right. All right, <laughs> All right thank right, you, I'll Lisa. All right, go. Lisa Wood from Rock 101 KUFO. See, she's the one to ask. KUFO yeah. has the best people sitting over there. No, you're right, Tim. I should have thought of that myself. All right, uh, so, well. So everyone's going to want to know the number of this room so they can stay there. I want to know. Do you know? We have to find somebody at the Benson. I was just going to say, right now, you can either call up anonymously or you can email. But if you work at the Benson, I want to know what room Mitch Mitchell died in. So uh, hook a brother up. You, uh, I can bribe somebody, can't I? Of course you can. All right, I'm going to bribe you right now. I'm going to bribe you with... Uh... Ooh, hey, we're giving, we're, we're giving away those ski tickets. Uh, let's see. Hold on. Hold on a second. Um, wait. 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 Wait, 
the hell did I... Oh, here we go. I should... Uh, this is, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. I should do these copy points anyway, Tim. Uh, so this is actually all week. Uh, all week we're going to be giving away four packs of tickets to Ski Fever along with a pair of lift tickets to an Oregon ski resort. Uh, on Friday, one of those winners... In other words, we're going to give away a lot of these four packs of, uh, of, of, you know, of lift tickets and tickets to Ski Fever. On Friday, one of those folks who wins the four-pack will also win a brand new GNU brand... Snowboard. New GNU. See what I did? But you see what I did there? Brand new GNU brand. Brand! Whatever. Snowboard. Um, ski Fever, the Portland Ski and Snowboard Show at the Portland Expo Center all weekend long, 14th, 15th, 16th. Friday 1 to 10, Saturday 10 to 10, Sunday 10 to 6. Save up to 70% off ski and snowboard gear. This year's lineup includes ski reps with the latest gear, the Northwest's largest ski swap, exciting entertainment, vacation ski resorts, and all of Portland's best major winter sports retailers with endless opportunities. PortlandSkiFever.com uh, for more info. So uh, throughout the week, random on-air callers, as solely determined by Richie, uh, and it is random, by the way, so don't go bribing him, will win four packs of tickets to Ski Fever and lift tickets to an Oregon ski resort. On Friday, one of those folks wins a brand-new GNU brand Snowboard. All right, it's the last time I'm trying. Uh, however, I will say this. Yes. I'm going to flat out bribe somebody. So if you know uh, the room number in which uh, Mitch Mitchell died, and here's the thing. For, for those just joining us, Jimi Hendrix drummer has been found dead at the Benson. He was 62 years old. His name is Mitch Mitchell. Of course, you should know that. Well, I was going to say now, now, but how can we possibly confirm it? Are we just going to, now, are we going to let people go on their honor as Rick Emerson listeners? Yes. Yeah. I mean, are we going to just, are we going to take... I think we can trust our listeners. Are, are we going to, but we will make them say, we will make them pledge on their honor. But you know some douchebags going to call in and pretend to be from there. I don't know. How could... So there's no douchebags. We would almost need <laughs> independent verification, but then it's like we would have to reward the independent verifier with something. It's all very confusing. Well, how about this? How about this? If you, uh, if you can correctly, if you can tell us the room in which Mitch Mitchell died, um... We will give you uh, we will give you a little uh, a nice prize. Now we will also need a second person who is unknown, you know, to you, a mm -hmm. second separate person to tell us the room number, and the person who independently verifies it will give them something else. And I'll uh, I'll figure out which one gets the uh, ski lift tickets and which one gets like so something else. So there you go. So we'll give something to the uh, person who gives us the room number. We'll give something to the backup source who verifies the room number, and uh, you know we'll uh, we'll just flip a coin to figure out who gets what prize. All right, so, yeah, if you're just joining us, Mitch Mitchell, who is the uh, original drummer for the Jimi Hendrix Experience, dead in a Portland uh, hotel. So, all right, here's Tim Riley. Found dead at 3 a.m. at the Benson. 3 a.m. at the Benson. Played the last show on Friday. Why so, would they go to his room at 3 a.m.? Well, I don't know. Maybe I mean, I hate to be gross, but, I mean, if he had died a few days earlier, it might have become obvious there was something uh, not, right. not right in there. Because he played on Friday, right? Right. So that was, yeah, four days ago. So maybe uh, something other I than the normal know. smell of rock coming out of the room. I mean, I'm just theorizing. So. Or maybe he was only paid to a certain day. Oh, that no, that could be true, too. Somebody else had booked the room. That is all, that's entirely possible. Uh, and, of course, you figure if you grow up you know, or spend your life in the public eye as a celebrity, room probably dead-bolted. I mean, yeah. look, I do that, and nobody cares about me. So I, I, I go, and I think I, are, are all of us the same way? When you stay in a hotel room, you close every lock they have. Oh, especially in Vegas. I want to wake up with my liver intact. <laughs> exactly. So uh, anytime I'm in a hotel, deadbolt, and then that little, you know, thing that goes over the little knob thing, the little uh, lever that you, that you move, then there's just the normal push-in thing. I lock every lock on the door. So you got to figure he's famous, uh, you know, to some degree anyway. He probably did the same thing. So he was only paid through a certain day. They come to clean out the room because somebody else is going to check in. 
Mr. Mitchell, no answer. And the chambermaid says, we may have to do some additional cleaning here. Yes, we've gone into golden time. I will need a bonus for this room. You know, I think I have a friend that works at the Benson. Really? Yes, and let me check on let me check on the space. All right. See, now, somebody sure. is somebody has already said here. This is getting very exciting. I'm not going to announce it on the air. Uh, I'm looking at right here. Oh wait, okay. So here we go. I am not going to announce the number, but this is from someone I trust. I won't say who. They've asked to not be identified. This is from somebody I trust. Uh, I'll. I'll Okay. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you, I don't even want to, yeah, mouth it. I'll, uh, I'll tell you here in, in a break. Um, someone I trust says, Rick, please keep my information anonymous, but I have the information. It was room number blank, and then I have the room number. I says, thanks. I will not identify this person, but again, this is, uh, this is someone uh, who I trust. Now, who knows? They could have been fed bad information, but, uh, I, but I trust that this person is giving me the information as, as they heard it. So uh, I'm going to write this down, so make sure I got it in front of me. So now, based upon this, uh, we're going to, uh, you know, we'll take calls, and if anybody knows the room number, I'm going to match it up against this one. And again, this person could have been told something wrong, but I trust that this is what they heard. They have given me what they hear to be the room number uh, in which he done. All right, well, thank so you. So would you go and stay in it? Oh, totally. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. Tim, you'd stay there? Yes. All right. Uh, I mean, you know, how could you not? How can you not stay in the uh, in the death room? I mean, it's like in, you know, when what's his name, John Entwistle died at the MGM Grand, I think. They did that uh, they did that dick move of like, we're not going to tell anybody. So, I mean, how can you, I mean, you think you could charge more for that? Hey, listen to this. So here's an email that says what we're all thinking. Um, let's see. Wait, hold on a second here. La, 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 la. Wah, wah, wah. Wait, 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 wait. What are you doing? I got a great email about this, but I'm trying to find Here we go. It says, not to diminish the death of the Jimi Hendrix drummer, but how weird to be the Benson Hotel. Can you imagine checking in to what is a very fancy hotel while they're wheeling out a body? Um, said, uh, no, they probably the... use the service elevator for that. You oh, know totally. That. Yeah, yeah no, that's not to... going through the lobby. The trash exit. Uh, do we have an incinerator shoot? Uh, he says, and do hotels have to disclose to people that the room they're staying in housed a corpse at some point? I Good don't. question. I don't think so. How many hotel rooms around the nation have had people die or killed in them? He says, there is a good possibility we have all stayed in a room where someone died. It's very creepy. Yes, it is. Kind of like staying in your own personal Indian burial ground. You know what I mean? Uh, with just one little shumash. All right, it is uh, 503-733-2970. Uh, Richie, are these people calling about the uh, the room? Richie? Okay, well, apparently not. So so it's still out there, though. Uh, we will offer... What? We will offer a, uh, we'll offer a nice shiny prize uh, to somebody who can, uh, who can corroborate the room number in which Jimi Hendrix number Mitch Mitchell was found dead. So uh, that's what you're going to base it on. So since you trust this person, if they call in and say the same room number? Yeah, I trust this person who It'll sent be me based the on the honor system. And, and here's the thing. Uh, you know, I, again, I guess, uh, you know, it's possible he was given the, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the wrong number. But I, but I, I trust that this is the number he was given. And I, and, and I trust this person to trust the person that told him. In other words, he's not the guy. He's you know he's he's a sharp he's a sharp uh, cookie, as they say. You know there are no sharp cookies. Why would anybody say that? That doesn't make any sense at all. Why would you want to eat a sharp cookie? Have a sharp cookie. Okay. <laughs> ah! 
<laughs> I've never heard sharp cookie. Yeah, it's. I think it's a very. Well, they say smart cookie, but then now they. But they'll say sharp cookie sometimes. Doesn't make any sense at all. Here's Tim Riley. The back in the days, of, days when you took out a dame. <laughs> exactly. Shake the tootsies because you like your gams. Yeah. All right. So here's the second weird death to tell you about. And this is an obsessed fan of Paul Abdul, found dead in the car in front of Abdul's house in Sherman Oaks, which is in the valley. A neighbor of Paul Abdul says she saw the car belong to the deceased obsessed fan of Paul Abdul several times over the past few weeks. The woman says she generally saw the car in the early mornings, and the woman inside who died near Paula's home last night would just sit there. Neighbors thought she might be a paparazzi. But as it turns out, her name is Paula Goodspeed. Now, she's a potential stalker. She also appeared on American Idol Season 5 in 2006. During her audition, she said she's an artist, and uh, she also drew a picture of Paula Abdul. They also produced a three-minute and 40-second featurette on Paula Goodspeed and her passion for Paula. She did not make the cut after Ryan Seacrest proclaimed, and a new love affair is over. Wait, I'm so confused about all of this. So she appeared on American Idol. Oh, okay. Five. So she was a contestant. Right, during her audition. And they got bounced off. Mm-hmm. Now, was she a Paula Abdul stalker before this? No. Or was this, that... Well, this has been going on for a while. All right. Uh, let's see here. So generally, uh, they've seen her several times in the past week. The car has a license plate that reads, ABL Love, Abdul Love. That is so creepy. And a picture of Paula hanging from the rear view mirror. A picture of Paula hanging. Oh, a picture of suspended from the right, right, right. A picture of Paula hanging. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, she had been stalking. Uh, police sources uh, say the victim was an alleged stalker, and cops have been in the house numerous times before to deal with her. Paula's people uh, know who the woman is. The cause of death, suicide in this car due to a drug overdose. Weird. Now, on her MySpace page, it hadn't been updated since... The 29th of April, 2007. Also, the picture on the right-hand margin has a picture of Paula Abdul licking her lips. And, bacon-flavored <laughs> lips. And, and the caption says, my secret crush. Ah. And she... MySpace is so creepy because, like, my friend who died has a MySpace page, and the last login date, that is just eerie. Totally. Because, it, you know, it's usually you know, the day, right. of course, before they die, if of not course. the day that they do die. Yeesh. She had blogged about her American Idol rejection, saying how hard it was to deal with the awful feelings. Uh, she she said she made a mistake of trying out for a singing competition before I was even ready, vocally, emotionally, and physically. And then and then she died. What, she just overdosed her? Yeah, that's what they say. Dra- died of a drug overdose in her car in front of Paula Abdul's house in Sherman Oaks. Mood. Sleepy. Mm-hmm. And let's see. The lanyard hanging from the mirror had a picture of uh, Paula Abdul. They took some pictures of it. All right. This yeah. is a real Hollywood Babylon type so we, story. So was she just obsessed with her because she wanted to be her? Was she like a lesbian? Was she... We don't know yet. I uh, I mean, here's my question. Uh, does it have a picture of uh, Paula Abdul's house? No, they're not going to do that. Because I, I didn't think they would, but I guess my but I guess my question is... She lived in Sherman Oaks. Mike, you know, you always think of a celebrity house, at least when I picture a celebrity house, you always picture it being set way back with a huge gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, a big wall. Everything's yeah. like that in Southern California. A big, a big wall. But then but, you know, occasionally you'll hear about, I mean, I know she wasn't a big star, but you'll hear about like the Rebecca Schaefer's of the world, mm-hmm. who I guess had some house you could just walk right up to the front door. It was an apartment in yeah. Hollywood. So, I mean, I, I, you got to figure if you're a celebrity of any, of any note, you oh. got to get a house that's way, way set off from the road. Now we found out that this woman overdosed in the exact same area one year ago. The cops who called the Paul Abdul's house 
either late last year or early this year, found Goodspeed inside her car unconscious from a drug overdose. Jesus. She suffered from extreme mental illness, and it spun out of control in the past two years. Ugh. And she was obsessed with Paula Abdul. All right, then. So that's got to be a little... Uh... That's going to be a little creepy. I mm-hmm. mean, you hear, I mean, more than a little, you hear about, like, you know, like Letterman had that woman. Remember Letterman had that woman that would just, he'd come home and, uh, Sarah probably doesn't remember this. David Letterman used to have this woman. He'd come home and she would be in his house making him dinner. I oh, think I, I remember hearing of that happening, but I don't know the she, specific. Because she thought they were, she was nuts. She thought they were married. Um, I and mean, she was completely insane. And and I think, you know, it's, you know, by all accounts, she was harmless. You know, she wasn't violent. But it's like he would come home and she'd be like, hey, that's Dave, just creepy. Well, yeah, it's like, Dave, I ironed all your shirts for you and uh, I've got some fish on the stove. Let's watch TV. And he'd be like, you know, I don't know you. Yes. Oh, Dave, we've been married for 20 years. I mean, it was just so weird. Oh. Uh, and then I guess they, uh, you know, they, they finally caught her and put her in the booby hatch somewhere. Uh, and then obviously, you know, Rebecca Schaefer had that. And I think who else didn't Letterman, didn't Letterman just have some other nutcase thing where somebody was threatening his wife and kid? Yeah. So, yeah. He was a painter. It's weird, you know, the, the people who who bring out stalkers. Uh, you know, it's never the people you think. It is always, I mean, because really, let's be honest, who would think a, a Paula Abdul would have some nutcase-obsessed stalker? Oh, I'm sure. You, you think Simon Powell probably gets that. So, yeah, all right. You know, California's a big place. There are a lot of crazy people just running around. Well, I guess it's the law of averages. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> place with a big enough population, someone is bound to love you too much. Um, so, you know, it's a good thing we live here. Let's see. Um, uh, okay, here we go. This says Rick. I just called a few minutes ago, and the Benson is denying that Mitch Mitchell ever even stayed there. Stop trying to run a good story, Benson. Well, I mean, now, but we know, but this is a news organization that first reported he was yes, Fox 12, found isn't it? there, right? No, Oregon Live and KGW. Well, so the, that's the Oregonian, Oregon Live. So one of them has to have it, right? Oregon Live is the Well, how would they both, I mean, it seems like that would be, how would they both get that wrong? Mm-hmm. I can understand getting the room number wrong, but saying like the Benson when he's really, I don't know, what, like a... You know, when he's really found found dead at Dollywood or something, that that seems like a mistake you wouldn't uh, make. It's my assessment here. Um, let's see here. Somebody calling about. Uh, hello, hi. You're on the Rick Emerson show. What's up? How you doing, Rick? What do hey, you got? Uh, well, you know that uh, Jimi Hendrix uh, death going on. Yes, sir. I do remember somewhere in the past that uh, him and his bandmates were afraid of heights. So I'm going to get 283, but I really wanted to talk about. Uh, David Letterman, uh, did you watch him last night? He had Don Rickles on. Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't even know that was going to happen. Oh, my God. Rickles, open mouth and third foot. He tried to make some jokes about uh, our newly elected president. Yes. And, of course, you know, him being a Jewish guy. And uh, Letterman brought up, well, what do you think about our new president? And he starts off, oh, that other guy. And everybody sort of got quiet, and he started talking. He says, you know, we could be invaded by Iraq. We could be invaded by Iran or any country that's trying to invade us. And they're going to run in there and say, President, President, what are we going to do? And he actually made motion. He sat there, and he goes, and this is what the president would do. And he's pretending he's shooting the basketball. He goes, shut up. I'm shooting my three-pointers. So this is wait, the, so this is night. So this is Rickles on Letterman last night. Yes, and it was deadly. Silent. And John McCain was on last night also. Really? No, yeah, he was on Leno. Rick, well, I'm sorry. I oh, that's right, show. Leno. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's weird. You know, the thing about Rickles is, I mean, Tim, you and I saw him live a couple years ago. He's incredible. It is. It, the thing about Rickles is, even now, I mean, you, you would think a guest booker is really going to stop and have to think twice 
about inviting Don Rickles on because he is, I mean, that that guy is what he is, and he's never changed or updated his act for you know for good or ill, I guess, depending on who you are. Um, but he does he does certainly traffic in a kind of comedy uh, that is at the very least edgy. And depending on who you are, uh, might offend your sensibilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, from my point of view, Rickles sells it because because he is legitimately funny and seems like a legitimately good guy. He doesn't seem mean spirited, and he's a survivor. So at this point, he can do whatever he wants. And that's the thing is, he's like a thousand years old too. So he's got the whole fu thing. It's, mm-hmm. So people think about fu money. He's got fu years. Yes. He's got the fu uh, uh, death clock going. So, but but you know, even now, I mean, at the age of eighty. The bulk of Rickles, uh, you know, the routine is it is uh, you know it's ethnic humor, it is uh, it's sexual humor, it's it's you know it's a uh, humor that has a very un PC bent to it. So I don't have to track that down and look at it. Thank you, sir. Well, yeah, you know, there's one more thing. You know, Letterman was playing uh, damage control. You can see he was very nervous. Right. And then he comes back with one more joke, where they're all running in and his advisors are running in. Oh, what about the economy? What about the economy? And he looks up, and says, "Shut up! I'm practicing my dribbling." Wow. And the place, he started to get smattering the booze, and he starts yelling back at the crowd. Hey, it was funny when I said it in the hotel room. Yeah, i got to work at some place. And Letterman's trying to laugh, but he has that restrained type of laughter. That's sort of like and a... you can see here, everything's just tightening up on Letterman right there. That laughter where he's kind of looking over at the stage director like, uh, yes, ache yes. Bray. Let's uh. Yes, it, big time. Oh, if you can get that, a copy of that, it, it's unnerving. It really is. All right. Thank you, sir. Yeah. All right, there you go. Uh, I'll tell this, and then we'll break. That's like when uh, when you and I saw uh, saw Rickles at Chinook Winds a couple years ago. There was this moment. He told this joke, um, and it was actually a guy I knew. It was a listener of ours, a guy named Dave, who was there. And if if I if I'm remembering it correctly, and Dave, I apologize if I if I'm if I'm mixing up the jokes, but I think it was this listener, Dave, who was there with his very beautiful wife, but. Rickles says, hey, I need some volunteers from the audience for a thing. Come on. Who wants to come up? And this guy, Dave, raises his hand. And Rickles, you know, brings him up onto the stage. And keep in mind, Don Rickles is like 85. I mean, and he looks like a tiny, frail guy who would just fall over. And Rickles says, what's your name? And he goes, I'm Dave. Dave, Don Rickles, good to meet you. Are you, uh, are you here alone? Are you here with somebody? And Dave says, no, 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 I'm uh, Don. I'm here with my wife. And Rickles says, oh, point her out. Where's the lovely missus? And the guy, Dave, points to his wife in the audience, stands up. And Rickles looks at the wife and goes, what, did you, did you lose a bet or something? What? And I mean, it was just, and it was that same thing where he said it, and you, you sort of laugh, but then it turns into a, ha, <laughs> and you're trying to sort of suck the laughter back in because you realize you're laughing at something evil. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back after this. It is the Rick Emerson Show. If you're there, we've got uh, Tanya Harding news. Somebody's got a little Tanya Harding news for us. Uh, somebody about uh, Mitch Mitchell. We're still trying to figure out if he actually died at the, at the Benson. You stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Show. We return in mere moments. the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Coming up later on, we talk to uh, Cena Radio correspondent James Roop from Los Angeles. 
Uh, we'll also have uh, Justin from BaconSalt.com talk about their new proc, uh, product, Baconaise. We'll play part of this great uh, Mr. T infomercial. We have Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. Uh, uh, we'll do uh, the top five today. Tim Riley's uh, top five songs that would accompany the opening credits of a movie of Tim Riley's life. Let's see. Uh, well, well, and some other stuff as well. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. All right, we've been on the, uh, the trail of trying to find... If you just joined us, so Mitch Mitchell, who was the uh, drummer for the original Jimi Hendrix Experience, uh, found dead, and this is the Oregonian now saying this also. <coughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> Do you know the thing with the cough button? Do you know sometimes you got the cough button? But You're then the... almost there. Another millimeter to go. Totally. Not quite there. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, no. <laughs> As I'm reaching for the cough button. Um yeah, so the Oregonian is now reporting a found dead in his room at the Benson Hotel, uh, I, uh, despite their denials that he was even staying there. As is KGW. Yeah. So uh, we basically everybody has confirmed it except for the Benson Hotel. And you would almost the thing is if they had just said uh, we're not really sure that would be believable, but it's like the flat out denial somehow makes it less believable. In any event, uh, so so we're offering a prize to the first person who can come up with the room number uh, in which Mitch Mitchell died. Now we and we have I have obtained. Uh, from someone I trust, independent confirmation of this number. So uh, when someone calls up and has the room number, uh, I will be able to uh, to determine, uh, you know, to, 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 to our, the best of our abilities, if it is in fact the room number. The uh, and in fact, here's the thing: the person who gave me the room number actually emailed back and said, "By the way, because we're going to give a, you know, we were going to give a prize to the first person who came up with it, and a prize to the person who confirmed it." He actually says. He actually said, you know what, I don't want, he said, I wouldn't feel comfortable accepting a prize for this because of how I got the number. So that indicates to me even more so that it's real. Yeah. Well, I bet the Benson doesn't want to talk about it because if he died five days ago and he's just been like. That's a powerful funk and not the musical kind. Seriously. And it's like, you know, a four, five star hotel or whatever. And he's been just laying in there. Dude, I can't even get the cat smell out of carpet sometimes. Uh, it's probably embarrassing for them. They're not, you know, more on the ball. That's probably why they don't. They want to disattach themselves from it. I'm just saying this is. Uh, but it is, you know, it is. Uh, I would say uh, it is public information. So yes, by uh, now. Uh, by now, uh, we are now. Uh, so we now, you know, have have read in the Oregonian here that he did in fact die. All right, uh, at the Benson, it's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. So we'll go to the uh, phones here in just a few. Well, I do want to do this. I guess we have a little. Um, I guess we have a little Tanya Harding news here. I guess this counts. Do we have? A, let's make this a Tanya watch. We have a little Tanya watch. Uh, here, an ad hoc one because of this Tanya news. Here's your Tanya watch for Wednesday on the Rick Emerson radio program. Uh, our good friend Uncle Steve joining us on the phone. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm fine, Rick. How are you? I am the beautiful Sarah, and hello to Tim. Hello. Hello. Uh, so you have some. I I am sort of ashamed. I'm embarrassed that I did not know this. Um, well, I got it from you last year when we celebrated Tanya Harding's birthday, which is today, apparently. Yes, sir. Uh, how I many years it. young is she? Oh, just barely 21, I would guess. It's nice of you to say. Just barely 21. That's in metric years. Uh, <laughs> so Tanya Harding's birthday. I wonder how Tanya Harding is celebrating her birthday. I know that she has a new man. I don't think she's married, but I, I do believe she has a beau at this point. 
Oh, wow. Well, if she's around here, hopefully she went out, got her pickup truck washed off. and Two for one pull tab night. There you go. Yeah. There you so, go. Uh, all right. So if you see, uh, you know, if you see Tanya Harding uh, out and about, perhaps drinking one of Yakult's finer uh, watering holes, you know, uh, offer to buy her, uh, offer to buy her whatever it is she's putting away tonight. Cool. So, uh, Tanya Harding. Also, rest in peace, Mitch Mitchell. He was a very nice gentleman. Truly. I mean, you know, and uh, I got to say, yeah, look, not to, uh, you know, I mean, I, say there there are worse cities to die in than Portland. I mean, I, you know what I mean? You know, as as the uh, as the song goes, nobody wants to die in Van Nuys. So, uh, <laughs> you know, Portland, you could pick a worse resting place than our fair city. Yeah, I was an adoring fan. I went up and I asked him to autograph my Experience album, and he smiled and did it and thanked me. And really, this was this was you? Did you see the show last Friday? No, 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 no. This was twenty years ah, ago. Ah, all right. So you said you met him like way way back then. Well done. Um, and he was a, he was a cool guy. Yeah, he was very pleasant, very nice gentleman. All right. Well, that's good to see. You like to hear that too. You like to hear that those guys haven't become jerks. Yeah. So rest in peace. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, brother. All right, there you go. There's our ad hoc Tanya watch uh, for Wednesday on the Rick Emerson radio program. You know, it's funny when he talks about meeting, uh, you know, Mitch Mitchell 20 years ago, and then, you know, he's the, the guy was really cool and whatever. That's especially good because sometimes, and I've had this experience, you'll meet somebody in a band who was not the focal point of the band, but who, you know, and it's like the guy. In other words, you'll meet somebody who was in a band like the Jimi Hendrix Experience, although apparently not with these guys, where. On the one hand, you know, they're famous or whatever, but it's not because of them, because nobody cares about them. It's all about the guy who, you know, it's the front man. In other words, you know, let's be honest, it's all about Jimi Hendrix. That's why people really, you know, that's where the fame came from. And a lot of times it can make guys really sort of bitter. They'll get, they'll become real dicks about it. Uh, and, and by they, I mean John Densmore uh, from The Doors. So I met John Densmore, who was the drummer for The Doors. And God, just, a, just based on my interaction with him, uh, if I, uh, you exercising my First Amendment rights, if I were to find a, a term to describe John Densmore when I met him, the term would be bastard. Just it was just just unbelievably rude. And maybe he was having a bad day. Maybe he was having a little off, uh, you know, the, the 24-hour cycle or whatever. But from what I've heard, he that was kind of a that's kind of his general mode of operation. And you got to figure it's because it's the it's the it's the yin and the yang, right? It's the, it's the best and worst of all worlds. On the one hand. You know, he's famous, and he gets to spend the rest of his life making money by being John Densmore from The Doors. On the other hand, he realizes nobody cares about him. All they want to, it's that nightmare of being famous, but only because they want to ask you about somebody more famous. Hey, John Densmore, what was Jim Morrison like? <laughs> you know, and he must, just, he must just hate Jim Morrison with everything in him. I would imagine that at this point he doesn't even like to hear the words Jim or Morrison because he it so completely and totally overshadows anything he could ever accomplish. I mean, he could, you know, he did the man, he could, uh, he could cure scabies. Nobody's going to care. Hey, what about, hey, scabies guy, tell me about that time you were in the doors. But he was just uh, just a real jerk about it. So it's always good to hear about people who were not. And apparently Mitch Mitchell, good guy. All right, here's uh, Tim Riley on KCMD Portland. All right. We have another infamous anniversary coming up in a few moments, but I'm not going to tell you what it is because I'm waiting for this to buffer. 
So it's uh, raining profusely in a lot of places in Oregon, and the worst place is being hit again, Vernonia. Remember that place? Yes, I do. Nearly 400 homes damaged the last time around. Many residents left without heat, fuel, or foes for several days. Even after the power was restored, clean drinking water remained a problem. So City Hall there in Vernonia is open today, despite the uh, state and federal veterans' day uh, observances. Oh, this was from yesterday. Vernonia is not an immediate risk, but they are talking heavy rains there, and it brings back soggy memories. Vernonia's out by North Plains, right? Yeah. Yeah. At the market there, every bag of groceries gets a weather warning. Like they have no other outside source of information there? <laughs> I mean, no wonder the first time. So if you didn't go for groceries that day, you had no idea that the storm was coming. The National Weather Service update is distributed, inserted in every bag of groceries. That's, that's their, is that like their EAS test? Yes, it is. Here we have actual technology where there's that little, you know, thing, and it says, this is a test of, if this had been an actual emergency, you would be told to run screaming. But in Vernonia, you would find the secret message, please open up the dozen eggs and find what you do in this emergency. It's put there in the Chinook book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right between, like, the two-for-one haircut and the, uh, you know, and the three pounds of beef jerky for five ninety-nine. Vernonia, the tiny timber town near the coast, was among the hardest hit. More than 200 homes in the town, apparently 2,000 residents, were destroyed by the flooding. So, uh, oh, people here know how uh, what high water can do. As part of the planning, Vernonia police compiled a list of senior citizens who may need assistance if there is a real natural disaster and dedicated a real police officer to watching the river levels. So he's probably standing there looking at them right now. There is a... Let me understand this. This still is in Vernonia? Vernonia. So in Vernonia, the early warning system, first of all, for floods, is that what you're talking about here? Yes. Can't they look at the window and see that it just hasn't been, hasn't been dry for like three days? Well, if you don't get the notice in your grocery bag, how would you know to look out the window? Well, that is a fair point, Tim Riley. Touche. I guess I'm just thinking maybe you have to, I mean, you must have to go outside for something in Vernonia, churn some butter, or use the... Get some goat milk. Use the outhouse. You might say to yourself, by God, it's been raining for like seven days. Maybe I should buy some galoshes. Uh, in any event. So, uh, there you go. Hey, you know, here's a question for you. Here's a radio question, Tim. When did the EBS system become the EAS system? It was after the Cold War ended. Was, I mean, was there some reason for the change? Yeah, because we weren't afraid of the Russians anymore because they were too poor to even move a ship out of a harbor. But I mean, but we still, but it hasn't gone away. We've gotten, we, you know, we, we've just replaced it. It is now the EAS alert. Right. Now it's harder to understand than ever. No one knows what we're talking about, uh, except that you do. This is one of those things. It, you, sounds, it sounds like going to the drive-up window at Wendy's. This is without the Baconator option. Yeah. This is one of those things that you know, but you don't know you know it, as Donald Rumsfeld might say. The EAS alert, which I think is the only thing Sarah has ever known it to be called, is that thing that we will run, and it sounds like, uh, as Tim said, it's, it's multiple tones at once, and it's sort of a, uh, it's sort of like a weird electronic chime, almost like a couple different electronic alarm clocks going off at once, mm-hmm. and it says, like, this is a test of the emergency alert system. If this had been an actual emergency, except I don't even think they say that, I think I'm still doing the old copy. But way back when, uh, by which I mean when I was a boy, and when I started in radio, actually, it was not the ES, it was the EBS, which is the Emergency Broadcast System. Hmm. And the Emergency Broadcast System was much longer, and it was just one shrill tone. Well, you push a red button in the woo machine, and then it would off for about a minute. The then you, then the you punch, machine. Then you punch the, the, the woo machine was next to me, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Then you punch the card again, and it ends it. And it, was, and it would say, this is a test of the Emergency Broadcast System. 
the broadcasters in your area, along with, wow, I can totally do something, along with federal, state, and local officials, have devised this system to keep you informed in the event of an emergency. If this had been an actual emergency, the tone you just heard would have been followed by official news or instructions. This concludes this test of the emergency broadcast system. God damn, I'm lame. And then wow. there was a cart for an actual emergency if it was a real thing. And that's the one they always played on the Spanish channels. Really? Yeah. So in the Spanish-speaking community, they thought the world was always about to end? Well, no. They Run for your lives! They were only in English. So how would they know? I, I guess that's true. I'm, that, that is kind of funny in a horrible way. The idea that the man decided that the Spanish-language channels didn't need their own uh, their own EAS alert. Mm-hmm. So they would just be, you know, I don't know, some guy who maybe doesn't speak English all that well. And Imagine like, if, that would be like, imagine if if on this station... The uh, you know the EB the EAS alert was done on like Esperanto or something. Mm. What's well, on the radio? And it's you know and it's some guy going blah get a blah da blah 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 you know whatever. I don't know. Well, it's over now. Let's go back to lunch. You know, and then fire ants come out of the hills and destroy everybody. Wow. So we've gotten to the point where we're celebrating an auspicious anniversary today. Are we? Wait, hold on. Before yes, we, we do that, uh, Richie Bristol, can you join me in the studio for just one second? You have to play the music. Oh, I'm sorry. He only responds can to you music. Drop my volume. This is going to be a little mm-hmm. loud. Oh, wait. I guess it would help if I turned it on, huh? There we go. Hello, Richie Bristol. How are you today? Hello. Uh, I have two small tasks for you. Uh-oh. Uh, one, I hate to do this. Can you get me a visa? I meant to do it during the break. We ran out of time. Mm-hmm. Right, can you get me a vigor? That would be fantastic. Isn't that bitch in that bacon the nameplate? Yeah. And put that on my desk today. Really bitch. Richie, did you get a haircut? A while ago. Have you just not uh, cleaned your hair in a while into the product? No, usually he's wearing a hat. Yeah, I've been wearing a... You've been wearing, like, your... your not Chanel. Is it a Chanel fishing hat? Louis Vuitton. Louis Vuitton. A Louis Vuitton fishing hat? Mm -hmm. I don't understand. It looks like more like a burglar's hat. Does Louis Vuitton make hip waders, too? No. I got a matching watch for it, too. Uh, So will you give me a Viso Vigor? Uh, Vigor. All right. And then, uh, also, I've I've written down a small task there. You can read it in there. Can you go do that for me, please? Okay. Yeah. And just let me know on the screen. Great, thank you. All right. Uh huh. Did you hear him practicing his drag show this morning? No. It was pretty funny. Isn't that how kind of an many, ongoing? Story how many workplaces can you go into and hear this stuff going on? Really, just just here, just I think. Just here. Tim. All right. It is in fact. A, all right. Turn, can we uh, yes. drop our cheese, Mike? It is in fact a workplace unlike any other. Yep. All right. Um, how? By the way, how weird can I, that I can do that EBS alert from memory? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can do that without even thinking about it, which is a little freaky. Did you ever actually have to run a real emergency? Like, not the test, the actual emergency? I remember on the East Coast when the real one accidentally went off. Accidentally? How yeah. so? Uh, apparently, there were originating stations, and somebody pushed the wrong button, triggering an actual that attack is, by Russia. That is... Wait, was it Reagan? Did he I, say I the remember. bombing will begin in five minutes? The... um. That is another thing, and I, you know, and we'll get off this here in a second. But I know that there are some people who find the, uh, you know, the behind-the-scenes workings of radio kind of interesting. So, when you hear that test, and I think it's still that way even now, when you hear that, you know, this is a test of the emergency alert. It is a chain. In other words, there's some station, um, there is some station that that starts it, mm-hmm. and then it triggers automatically that same test at other stations. This is like a daisy chain, and what that basically is there for is so if there is an actual emergency. It really only takes one station to fire off the alarm 
and all the stations in the city will automatically do it. it yeah, because we're all connected. I mean, like, you, they, I get sent, you know, notifications from, from like, KGW so. or somebody, mm-hmm. yeah. And then that way, you know, if everybody else is dead, all it just takes one guy to, like, you know, I regret nothing, and to press the button, and then everybody else, you know, will learn of the uh, impending doom. By and, which point, and, it'll be too late. And less. a single surviving cockroach is left listening. <laughs> exactly. Um... Uh, so I actually had to run a real EBS, though. Um, and it was terrifying because then you realize you didn't really ever pay attention and you don't know how to do it. Uh, I, when I was uh, working in Washington, there was this, uh, you know, they, they, of course, inevitably called it Firestorm. But there was this horrible wildfire that happened. And this must happen in California all the time. Awful wildfire. Oh, yeah. And we got the, you know, and we got the thing. It was like, dude, there's a, there's a wildfire. Like, it's destroying homes by the thousands. You've got to get on the air and run the EBS. And at that moment, you kind of think to yourself, I don't really know how to do this. I never paid attention when they trained me. I figured it would never really happen. And so then you realize you're like, what's his guts? Um, it, it, you're like a John Spencer in War Games. They're like, turn your key. And you're like, I don't have my key. I don't know where I lost it. I left it at home. I didn't think I'd ever need the key. So I, I had no idea what to do. And it was literally, it was in, this sounds like Cold War crap, it was in a red envelope. You had to go and you had to open a red sealed envelope that actually had no lie, like codes you were supposed to use to send out the emergency broadcast alert about this fire stuff, and I had no idea how to do any of it. And nobody ever dared to open up those envelopes, even though they were tech next to the, the teletype out back. Exactly. They were hung next, totally, hung next to the transmitter, and by the way, they were sitting next to the old-ass Underwood manual typewriter we used to take transmitter readings. I saw one of those at the uh, the Atomic Museum. Really? They were showing the 1950s, those old green metal desks with the Underwood yeah. typewriters. That is exactly the kind of typewriter we had. Anyway, and so I just, uh, I think I had to call and wake up the engineer. And I'm like, oh, I don't know how to do the EBS. We're all going to die anyway, but please tell me. Final story, and everybody has a radio story like this. This is entirely true. I could give the guy's name, uh, but I will not uh, because of decorum. We had to do the EBS uh, test at one point. We had to, uh, you know, to actually announce on the air, uh, you know, that there was some, and he, uh, you know, he didn't, uh, you know, he didn't know how to fire the button because he'd just been hired, so he did, in fact, just open the mic and go for like 15 seconds until his breath ran out. He literally just turned on the mic and like hummed the little beeping note. This is a test of the emergency broadcast system, which is fantastic. So, uh, all right, there you go. That's the uh, that's the end of the story. All right, here's Tim Ryan. And they did away with that tone and got an obnoxious one that nobody wants to listen to anymore. Uh, that's right. They got the, the number. So uh, Sarah's asking me if we're going to have these calls. We are in just a moment. Richie is checking on something, and then we're going to take some of these calls. If you're on hold, hang tight. We'll get those here in uh, just a moment. Here's Tim Riley. So this is a historic, a, not an, but a historic day in Oregon today. Thank you, Tim Riley. 38 years ago today, something happened. That's very historic. And the person who reported on the story is still around. If our friend Carl Quick is listening, I'm sure he knows what this is about. Is they, this... may, they may have even played it today. Can I guess? Wasn't 76? No, 70. Can I guess? Yes. I see. Oh, not, not Operation Whale Kaboom, then. Yes. Really? This is the anniversary of the... 1970? 1970. I thought it was in the 80s for some no, reason. No, 70s. So, oh. it, I mean, it was the biggest day in K2 history. They never had bigger stories than this. Carl Quick, I demand that you call. Call the, uh, I hope Carl has the secret, uh, secret number. I have the video. Okay. If you want to listen to it. I wonder if they did play it today. So, uh, Tim, for those who um, may have come in late, please to explain now uh, what Operation Whale Kaboom is. So, uh, every so often on the Oregon coast, you find a dead whale and wonder what to do with it. Well, this was too big to haul away, so they decided to blow it up. 
They, state officials said they were going to blow up this whale and uh, everything would be right with the world, except it, it really didn't happen that way. So this is a massive <laughs> whale. And I should say, Huge. this was for a long time. I remember time. celebrating this last year, too. Yeah, it's the greatest news or story ever. I mean, it's like Christmas in Oregon, really. I should say that for a long time, this was an urban uh, thought to be an urban legend. And you say, well, how's that possible? Well, because before the Internet, something was on television. But, I mean, there was no TiVo. Couldn't go online and watch it on YouTube. So, I mean, you would hear these. I remember Art Bell talking about it. Art Bell thought it was an urban legend. He thought it was fake. Huge whale washes up on shore at the Oregon coast. Smells terrible. They can't haul it away. They can't cut it up. It's too big. It's like a fleshy new Carissa. And they decide that the solution is to blow up the whale with explosives. And things went badly. Tim? So, let's give it a listen here. Washed up in Lane County, nobody could remember how to get rid of one. In selecting its battle plan, the highway division decided the carcass couldn't be buried because it might soon be uncovered. It couldn't be cut up and then buried because nobody wanted to cut it up, and it couldn't be burned. So dynamite it was, some 20 cases or a half ton of it. The hope was that the long-dead Pacific gray whale would be almost disintegrated by the blast. So here they are with the these big plungers. go around after the explosion would be taken care of. And those plungers just like they use in blazing saddles. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm confident that it'll work. The only thing is we're not sure just exactly how much uh, explosives it'll take to disintegrate this thing so the scavengers, seagulls and crabs and whatnot can clean it up. They're to blow up a whale. The dynamite was buried primarily on the leeward side of the big mammal, so as most of the remains would be blown toward the sea. By 75 bystanders, <laughs> most of them residents who had first found the whale to be an object of curiosity before they tired of its smell, were moved back a quarter of a mile away. Back. Blowing up the whale. Chunks of whale falling out of the sky. You can hear him. That noise is falling pieces of the whale. Our camera stopped rolling immediately after the blast. The humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival as huge chunks of whale blubber fall everywhere. A parked car over a quarter of a mile from the blast site was the target of one large chunk. Wow. The passenger compartment literally smashed. Fortunately, no human was hit as badly as the car. However, everyone on the scene was covered with small particles of dead whale. As darkness began to set in, the highway crews were back on the beach burying the remains, including a large piece of the carcass which never left the blast site. It might be concluded that should a whale ever wash ashore in Lane County again, those in charge will not only remember what to do, they'll certainly remember what not to do. How great is that? Oh. Covered with chunks of dead whale. And it's destroying something. cars. I mean, it's, oh, my God. It, that is one of those things that, as they say in the net, video where it didn't happen. If there was no video of this, you, none of us would believe it was true. None of us would ever believe, A, that they would just have to blow up a whale. I mean, what must have been going on in their heads? I mean, it, even it now. sense to somebody. I guess. And it's just the idea that they, and the great thing about it is, here's what makes that story so wonderful, apart from the fact that they're blowing up a whale, is that the parts of whale don't hit everybody immediately. It's the lag time that really makes that work, because, you know, comedically speaking, blow up the whale, and then there's like that long one, two, three. 
And they're like laughing, and they're like, oh, look, yay, success. And, and then suddenly, oh, my God, the humanity. And there's just the, the, the whale falling out of the sky and then crushing what looks to be an El Camino. I mean, and here's the other great thing about this. I would be amazed, by the way, and it never occurred to me, Tim, until just now. Mm-hmm. I would be amazed if, uh, uh, what's his name, Buzz um, Hewitt or whatever his name is, I'd be amazed if that was not partially the inspiration for the WKRP episode where they throw turkeys out of the uh, helicopter. Oh, yeah. Because there's that less national that goes, oh, they hit, the turkeys are hitting the ground like sacks of wet cement, which is one of the best lines ever uttered. This has almost got to be part of the inspiration for that. Also, I'm surprised that this hasn't end up, ended up on some sort of television show or in a movie. You know, it's too good. How come the Farrelly brothers or somebody, how come Will Farrell hasn't put this into a movie? It's just uh, the Mythbusters guys ought to do this again. So, I just, uh, there you go. That's wonderful. All right. Um, it makes you proud to be an Oregonian. <laughs> it does. I mean, it really does. I didn't know it was 1970, though. Yeah. Jesus. All right, we've got to get to some of these calls here. Uh, we get the, we'll just move through these as they come in. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello there. Hey, Rick, it's Dave. Dave. You're taking my name in vain and using it in effigy and all those sort of things. How, how so, sir? Uh, talking about Chinook Winds. That was an uncomfortable moment. You man. are the Dave. You are the Dave uh, at Chinook, uh, Chinook Winds. At the, uh, Rick. Now, have I gotten it right? Were you the guy that he made that crack? And again, we should say that uh, your wife's very beautiful. But are you the guy that, that got that crack made at your expense? Yeah, uh, yeah, that was me. Okay, where Rickles looked at the wife and said, "What did you lose a bet?" Um, I mean, if you're going to be insulted, you know, who better to be insulted by than Don Rickles? I guess. Yeah, you know, but I, you know, I didn't volunteer to go up on stage. He just kind of pointed. And what am I going to do? I turn him down and look like, you know, a giant wuss, or I go up on stage and I totally. risk getting, you know, filleted alive by, you know, one of the greatest guys on the planet to do it. And you, uh, you were a man, and you opted for the latter. Uh, you know, I figured I'd go up and take my punishment from a hero. Well, you know what? Here's the thing, and I, uh, you know, I was very lucky. I got a chance to do a little meet and greet. I got a chance to, to, to you know, shake the man's hand backstage. And uh, but you, though, I mean, you actually were up on stage in a comedy performance, in a comedy bit with Don Rickles. I mean, this, you know, really, relatively speaking, not a lot of people who can say that. That's pretty cool stuff. No, it's a memory I'm gonna, you know, it's gonna be with me for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And he's a spry little bugger, you know. There's no way around it. When he hugged me, it was like, holy crap, you know? Are you hugging me? Are you humping my leg? What's going on here? The uh, we saw him backstage uh, beforehand. And Tim unfortunately got there late and wasn't, wasn't able to do it. But um, well, you know why I was because I heard a rumor that. Well, ticket sales were slow, and you could arrive late and get a seat. No. There was like a line around the building. Yeah, they were not slow at all. Two shows, two nights. Mm-hmm. Um. But we met him backstage, and you know what? He was so cool, looked exactly like you wanted him to look. He was in a tuxedo, but then over the tuxedo, silk bathrobe. And just hanging out back with a cigar. Cigar, tuxedo, silk bathrobe backstage. Going like, hey, how's it going, Eric? You know, and he was just, uh, he was quite something. So, uh, well, I'm glad you got to do that, my friend. It was an interesting experience. Like I said, I'll take it with me. You know, had a buddy made that crack, they'd, uh, you know, it'd have been a different result. But what do you do? It's Don Rickles. Well, that's the thing about, and I haven't seen the clip. Several people have sent it to us. I have to watch it. The, that clip of him on Letterman last night, I guess, making the basketball joke about Barack Obama. And I guess on the one hand, you can say, you know, well, he shouldn't. But on the other hand, you, look, I mean, he's Don Rickles. He does what he does. And you got to figure that's on Letterman and his staff for not thinking that through to the end. So, you know, what are you going to do? All right. Thank you, my friend. Have a good day, bud. Uh, you as well. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What up? Uh, what up? I was uh, calling to hopefully repay a favor. Yes. Uh, I wanted to say thanks. Uh, thanks to uh, Rick and Sarah for introducing me to uh, Youth and Revolt and Chuck Polinick. Oh, absolutely, sir. 
my favorite, I hope re- to return, I just finished up a book by uh, John Krakauer called Under the Banner of Heaven. Under the Banner of Heaven is a fantastic yeah, book. I, read that one. I hate to steal your thunder. Actually, I, I, I actually have read that, but you're right. It is, it is an amazing book. Um, well, that's good, because I assumed of all people that would uh, be interested in that kind of story, it would be you, right? Uh, my wife was the one who turned me on to that, because I'd read... I read Into Thin Air and uh, Into the Wild and then Under the Banner of Heaven. Is, is, uh, we'll, we'll start at the beginning. Youth and Revolt by C.D. Payne, uh, available at Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing, 3415 Southeast Cedar Hills Boulevard. Um, Youth and Revolt is, I believe, it is. it, is, it stands, I, I can't ever pick a number one or a number two, but it is side by side with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest as my favorite novel of all time. It is an unbelievably good book. I urge everyone, by the way, to avoid the sequels. Do not read any, any, any of the sequels to Youth and Revolt. They are terrible. So don't read those. But it's a great book, and I'm, I'm so glad you read it. What Chuck Palahniuk did you start with? Because Sarah's really the biggest Palahniuk fan here. What did you start with there? I believe, uh, under Sarah's instructions, I started with uh, Survivor. Right. Oh, what right. did you think of it? I loved it. And then I've uh, pretty much read everything he's done since. I actually, I tried to call when you guys had him on the air. I wanted to give you guys some props to, uh, you know, let them know that you guys are spreading the word. But yeah. uh, He's I a, just finished uh, Snuff, which was pretty incredible. I haven't read Snuff yet. I mean, he, you know, he, got, he writes like a book a month, so it's mm. it's difficult. I uh, My favorite Polonic of the books I've read uh, is, is probably Lullaby. I was a bit, I like Lullaby a lot. Diaries are a really beautiful book, too. Yeah, I haven't read that. It's pretty weird. It's, it's, it's a neat concept. I, uh, I didn't care for Choke. Uh, but uh, but I loved Lullaby. I lo- you know, Fight Club obviously you know stands alone. That's a that's a work of supreme fiction there. So it's uh, well, we're glad you're glad you're digging it. And Under the Banner of Heaven is by John Krakauer, as you said. He wrote Into Thin Air and Into the Wild, um, and he's also, he also wrote a book called Iger Dreams, which is a bunch of essays about mountaineering. But Under the Banner of Heaven is the uh, simultaneously tells the history of the Mormon Church and the rise of religious extremism in America. And I will say. Um, especially having lived in Utah, and, you know, of course, my wife grew up Mormon and so forth, it is probably the most accurate and even-handed telling of the Mormon church's history uh, that I've ever read. I mean, it's he he doesn't make them out to be any better or worse than they are. It's an absolutely unbiased look at the Mormon church. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed that, sir. Yeah, I did, and I really, I was going to say, it came across as pretty even keel as yeah. far as... With dealing with fundamentalists and celestial marriage and all that. Yeah, he he doesn't he doesn't pull any punches, but he also doesn't go out of his way to vilify them when they don't deserve it. So exactly, and oddly enough, I picked it up at the uh, Salt Lake City Airport. So. <laughs> Good for you, my friend. All right, oh, what's your name? Deacon. All right, well, th- I'm so glad you enjoyed this. Thank you for uh, thank you for uh, you know for for doing us the honor of taking our suggestions on those things. Hey, anytime. And Rick, one more thing. Yes. Ah, it's been a long time since so we've had it. It has. It's, it hasn't been long enough to make it funny again, though. Makes you feel good, doesn't it? <laughs> we'll do a couple more, and then we'll continue with the news. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey, Rick, the, uh, about the emergency broadcast system. Yes. Uh, I don't think that that went out until after the uh, first uh, George Bush Sr.'s uh, first, well, his only term. Um, because during the uh, time that he was in office, there was actually a uh, like a techno or industrial band that uh, – named themselves emergency broadcast system right. they did just a slanderous little single using uh voiceovers of his that they you know redubbed together so right. he was saying a bunch of insane things so it must have been around at least until 92 yeah somewhere around there and then uh i had a question there is a uh there's a photo of you and sarah on your uh website that was taken the night of uh the night of the party at uh, grand central bowl yeah there. that's out front of the street yeah Okay, I was just wondering, the button that she's wearing, is that the uh, IF Sarah Palin button? Yes. It sure is. Yes, uh, it is. All right. Uh, my friend Corey that gave you the uh, 
bacon nameplate. Yeah. Uh, we had a friend of ours do those up to give those to you guys. As well, you guys well. Are, that's amazing. I've worn that button about more than that one time. <laughs> well, you guys yeah, are really a, a uh, you guys are a powerhouse of creative energy over there. Well, we had a bunch of people at. We only had like ten of them to give out, and we wanted to make sure that uh, each of you guys from the show got one. And uh, we were standing in line, and we'd just given one to Storm, and the guy behind us was like, "Do you have another one of those to give out?" And we're right. like, "Uh, yes." To Rick and the rest of the crew, and he's like, "Well, I'd give them to them first too." All right. Well, that, so, well, it's that button that says "I F Sarah Palin" and then below it says like "Vote Obama" or whatever. By voting for Obama. Yeah, it's it's quite wonderful. And I got to tell you, uh, you might have seen a picture of this on on our MySpace page. Uh, this Obama shirt that I bought in Vegas, uh, which I'm so glad I bought. Now it's just it's just the best thing ever. This gaudy uh, Obama shirt. So, all right. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. No problem. Best show ever. Right, thank you. Uh, all right, uh, Richie. Who's on the warm line here? What are we? Uh, all right, you can you look into that. Carl Click to call me. I guess I didn't know if he knew the warm line or not. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. What's hey, up? This is this is Tom. I've been on hold for so long. I've got three things. All right then. Okay, Mrs. David Letterman ended her days in front of an oncoming train in the Midwest. I'm sorry. Mrs. David Letterman ended her days well, in front th- this of is, an oncoming train. Well, this is let's well let's clarify something. You're talking about the woman who was who claimed the psycho yeah. woman claiming she was Letterman. Yeah. Or Letterman's wife. I'm gone. She's done. I also have in front of me, in my hand, an EBS authenticator list envelope. Really? Hot pink. From where? Oh, a station back east in New Jersey. And I mean, is it so? It's a vintage one from way back then. Yes, it covers the last six months of 1979. Wow! Is it is it it sealed? Well. It is until now. He's going to open the EBS authenticator list from the 1970s, Kim. That was against the law back then. Uh, It was. Sinner. This is serial numbered 3256. Wow, that is great. And pick a date, 1979, second half. I'll read you the code words to activate and terminate. Uh, how about uh, how about today? How about November, uh, whatever the hell today is, November 12th, uh, 1978. Okay. 1979 activation is golf mic, and termination is... Foxtrot Papa. Foxtrot Papa. Yeah. Golf I Mike can... and Foxtrot Papa. Yeah, I can send you copies of all the stuff. Ooh, that'd be really cool. You should cool. do that. I'll give yep. those to Craig Adams. Excellent. Excellent. That's and quite they something. They were hot pink. They weren't red. Um, That's what I thought, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. All right. And, and the last genius. thing about uh, the room that the guy died in. Yes, sir. Why do you want to go there? Because there's nothing but dead guy cooties in the mattress. Well, that's you saying that. Pound that stuff out. I'm sure he was a very clean man. All, <laughs> All right. right. Thank you, sir. Bye. All right. We should say, by the way, we did at one point on the line have a guy who had the room number, mm-hmm. and I think his phone dropped, and we haven't heard back from him yet. So we were about ready to pick him up, and his phone uh, kind of went kaput on us. So hopefully he will. Uh, hopefully he will rejoin us. Uh, but again, we are offering a uh, we're offering a bright shiny prize. To the person, first person who can uh, call her here, who can uh, give us the room number in which Mitch Mitchell, uh, give us the room, in, the number of the room in which Mitch Mitchell from the Jimi Hendrix experience died at the Benson Hotel. So I have independently obtained the room number. We know what it is. Uh, in other words, you know, we've, we've gotten some off-the-record verification. You've had like three different people say the same room. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, based, based on what I know. I'm doing it, you know, Washington Post style. I got two independent sources. So, um, you know, so based on what I know, we can tell you if you're right or wrong. So if you are the first caller to get on the air and to give us the room number, the room number, the number of the room in which Mitch Mitchell from the Jimi Hendrix Experience died at the Benson Hotel in Portland, Oregon. Uh, we just revealed that uh, today. He just uh, was discovered to be dead a couple hours ago. If you're the first person to get on the air with that room number today, uh, we'll give you uh, something bright and shiny. It could be ski passes. This is, oh, I know who this is. This is Carl Click. All right, ladies and he gentlemen. He must know. 
from uh, K2, let's welcome our good friend Carl Click. Hello, sir. Hey, I heard you guys were calling for me. Yeah, we put up the click sign, the click signal. Yeah, I, I would have missed it. I would have. I've been here sooner, but I was in line for a flu shot. <laughs> It's okay, you oh, know. Now you're Carl, you really shouldn't sick. have gotten one of those. I was going to say, now you're going to miss it next time because you're going to have the flu. So oh, have okay. fun with that. All right. Uh, do they do that for free at K2? Uh, covered by our medical plan. Really? Fisher Broadcasting. All right. I was just, well, you know, we should say Fisher Broadcasting is a fine company. They were very good to us. One of the best All places the we, we ever worked. I will say the thing that makes me immediately suspicious of the flu shot, though, is the fact that, for example, here at CBS, they give it to everybody for free, even if you don't have health insurance. And, I mean, when is the last time you knew this country to give anybody free health insurance? I mean, unless there was something really wrong with it. Well, I think uh, our companies uh, are covered by insurance, and anybody who's not gets it for free. The company pays because they want us at work. They don't want us home in bed. I will tell you this one this one little note about the flu shot. So my wife, you know, who's a nurse, my wife is a lot like all of us. My wife resists getting the flu shot. Because she believes that it's going to give you the flu. She just doesn't, th- she doesn't think it's been perfected. And keep in mind, my wife isn't some anti-science nutcase. I mean, again, she believes in science. She, you know, she went to the school. She is, a, she is a registered nurse and so forth. But she has this, uh, she has this belief that the flu shot is, uh, you know, is, is, is likely to make you ill. Although, she, as we speak right now, she's actually in Peru. She's in South America as, as, I, as I say these words. But she had to go into the doctor a couple of days before she went to Peru, and she had to get uh, she had to get shots for malaria, typhoid, yellow fever, dengue fever, and something else, some other thing that'll kill you. And then they say, "Oh, by the way, uh, we'll give you the flu shot too." And she was about to open her mouth to say, "I don't want that flu shot. I think it might not be perfected. It'll make me sick." When she realized that she actually just had been given small doses of yellow fever, typhoid, dengue yeah. fever, and malaria. And she said, screw it. Give me the flu shot. So that's the first time she's done Might as well get them all. Yeah, I mean, she's like, you know, if, if these things don't work, flu, the least of my issues. Let's talk about uh, Operation Whale Kaboom, sir. Oh, yeah, it's the 38th anniversary of uh, the what we affectionately call it, K2, the exploding whale. It is, would you say, and I don't mean to cast aspersions on subsequent generations of uh, broadcasters at K2, would you say it's the greatest moment in K2 history? Well, um, I, mean, come I, on. I think we, we run it every year, so yeah, I think it's, it's pretty close. Is we there? More, more, more hits on our website for that than everything when we run it, yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Is there any other story from the K2 archives that is shown more frequently than that? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, see, there you go. That that tells you what you need to know. I mean, it is... Uh... I actually, uh, uh, during AM Northwest, I do a real quick little news cut in to tell them what's coming up on the new news. And, I, of course, I said, hey, it's the 38th anniversary of the whale exploding, so we'll be showing you that as we do every year because it's the law. <laughs> of course. I mean, it's then like. I got, a, I, got a compla- I got a call from a woman who called to complain. She said, A, the uh, exploding whale offends her, and, but she wanted to know uh, about uh, this law that made us run it. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. I, I, in, my, in my heart, I kind of said, I'm sorry, you've missed out on a lot of humor over the years that was sarcasm that you might not have gotten otherwise. Now, did she, now I'm, this is the thing I've latched onto in that comment. Is, did she explicate exactly why it offended her? I mean, what was it that, I mean, that's a pretty broad statement. I mean, that's a, you know, that is to say that she took offense at that. What does that really mean? I don't know. She did not get specific, but she did, know, she did say that she knew it offended others as well. But once she didn't understand the comment of uh, 
me making fun of ourselves running it by saying it's the law, I knew that I wasn't going to win any discussion. Yeah, that's a that's a road to nowhere right there, talking to people like that. So it's, I have to tell you this, and you and I all, you know, we all know this to be true. If you did not run the whale explosion thing, people would riot. I mean, there'd be violence. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not November unless you talk about the blowing up of the whale. Yeah, um, I think we should be chastised for not running it in a five-part series. I'm telling you right now. Uh, you know, here in radio, there's uh, in the world of radio, there's so much of that. Like, you know, we got HD channels or whatever, and there's like, you know, listen to our HD2 stream, which is just banjo twanging or just, you know, like some some crap. Uh, there really ought to be some sort of an HD, like an alternate feed of K2 that is just the whale exploding over and over and over and over again. Yeah, and it'll say the spirit of the Northwest right at the bottom of it. <laughs> Do you? Hey, here's a dumb question, and I only ask this because I use a TiVo and I and I and I sometimes you know I'm up late at night, but I'm not often watching you know network television at this time. Do you guys sign off? And that's not a thing that still happens with you guys. You guys don't go off the air at late at night, do you? Uh, no, but you do remember that where there was the national anthem and then a test pattern years ago. Totally, yeah. And I was yeah. I was going to suggest that if you did still sign off in any way, rather than doing the national anthem with like pictures of amber waves of grain, when you're doing the national anthem, it should just be accompanied by slow motion footage of the whale exploding <laughs> and then plummeting back to earth. Yeah. You know, sort of a K2 concludes its broadcast day. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we're the only ones who could do that, right? You own the footage, baby. Uh, yeah, we're on all night. Otherwise, you know, who else would we sell? Uh, you know, we have to get to that demographic, the people that need Ambien and are up all night, that kind of stuff. Hey, dude, you, you know, you you got to get to the uh, you got to get to the demographic that wants to purchase this Flavor Wave Oven Turbo that Mr. T is pitching right now. I missed that. All right, I'll I'll send you the link, brother. All right, thank you, my friend. Hey, you guys are the best. Take all right, care. There you go, Carl Click from K2. I bet that's on their one sheet in the sales package. <laughs> really, the, from the from the network? Wouldn't you do it from the station that exploded the whale? From the station that brought you with the exploding whale. And they could put it on a DVD and give it to any, every prospective advertiser. Nobody, other, no other station in town could do that. Now let me just tell you, well, again, because that footage it is not public domain. I mean, that footage does belong to K2. Yes, it um, does. Here's the other thing. Well, you know, and uh, you know, Tim, it's all about monetizing the revenue stream now. That's uh, that's really you got to do more with less, Tim. Here in these troubled economic times, we in the media must always be looking for new and unconventional revenue streams to augment the existing bottom line. I guess that's what Sarah Wagner did because she was mentioned on the uh, the CBS digital sales thing today. Really? Apparently she did something big. What did it say? I have to go back to... Uh, deleted it. Yeah. I, I, you I, can I give it a cursory she, glance. She and did something big. Yeah, it is. Congratulations, Sarah. Congratulations to Sarah Wagner from the Portland market for closing a unique campaign with a fast food client. Hey, look at you, Sarah Wagner. Bada bing. Good job, Sarah oh, Wagner. Oh, listen to this. Available at Powell's, the exploding whale by Paul Lindman. Why do I know? Oh, Paul Lindman from... He, okay, yeah. No, from, he's the reporter. He's the guy. Yeah. Reco- All right. So he wrote a book about it. Paul Lind for a moment. Paul Lind. No. I got an exploding whale. So they have it at Powell's. You go to Powell's and get it. I, Powell's books at Cedar Hills Crossing? Mm-hmm. All right. It's seriously, Dan, Powell's... I'm calling dibs on that right now. The Exploding Whale by Paul Lindman. Set one of those aside for me. It's the Exploding Whale like the... Um, the Exploding Whale like the uh, Vanishing Hitchhiker, the Choking Doberman. Um... What was I going to say? Oh, but anyway, so it's all in, in media now. It's all about finding additional revenue streams. K2 
K2, and I'm absolutely serious about this. Uh, this is not one of my things that I say, like, jokingly. Because, of course, you know, we, 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 you know, we were good friends with many people at K2. Not just Carl Click. Our friend Kristen works there. We used to work for the company. Yeah, our friend Nate Baker works there. Uh, uh, yeah, lots of people we love work for K2. And we, of course, used to be owned this program. We used to work for the same company in Fisher Broadcasting. They are good people. I will, and I yeah. won't. And I won't say that about everybody. We work for companies that were flat out repellent. Um, but uh, but the Fisher Broadcasting, they're good folks over there. So I mean, I really do want to help them in every possible way with whatever small amount of genius I can muster up. Seriously, K2, right now, you all ought to be selling exploding whale merchandise, don't you think? Yes. Yeah, I mean, like the K2 store online. That's a dude. Just get yourself a Cafe Press account or nothing else. I would absolutely buy explode. <gasps> Omg. I have the best idea ever. Sarah's so used to me saying that she didn't even look up from her screen right now. She's answering email or chatting or something. What are you doing over there? I am looking on PerezHilton.com while you're talking about an exploding whale. You know, I just had the best idea ever. And meanwhile... You have a best idea ever every day. Well, she's multitasking, as you were just saying. It's going to be about big, chunky pieces of whale. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. This is a fantastic idea. And again, I make no money on this. This is not going to help me at all. We don't make any money on anything. There's nothing Amen. <laughs> We're failing to monetize our, our revenue streams. Um, the, uh, no, this is an idea. I wouldn't even make any money on this, unless they want to toss me a little, you know, a point or two, maybe. Let me wet my beak. This would sell, as they used to say in my uh, hometown, this would sell like a bastard. This would sell like an MFR. It's so good, it almost hurts me to say it out loud. Like when there's a song, it's so great, it almost hurts to listen to. Seriously? What What was the actual town, Tim, where the exploding whale happened? I mean, I the coast, remember. but I mean, do you remember the actual town? No, I don't. Well, let's oh, say Florence. Well, okay, Florence. Florence yeah. Okay, how about this? Wait for it. It is a Florence, Oregon. It is a Florence, Oregon snow globe with little pieces of whale in it. And you shake it up. Ew. And the, no, no, no. There's cars in there, and little, and little Paul Lemon, and then you shake it, and the pieces of whale just they they float and then they fall back down to the ground, and then they land on things. Mm. Come on, you'd buy that. I would not buy you, that. You you are lying. You would buy Why that. Why would I, I want? Think, I think it would end up at the dollar store. That but see but it doesn't it matter. Dude, it doesn't matter. You've already sold it. That's you've already got their money. You don't care. If what it would gets you use for the texture for the chunks of whale? Just pieces of plastic. That's it, man. You just get pieces of gray. Plastic. Not maybe, red? Maybe with a little red paint on them. All you have to do is get a snow globe, you stick a little plastic car and a little plastic Paul Lindman in there. Just be a little tiny human figure. Uh, and then and then just chunks of gray and red plastic. And then you shake it up, and the, the pieces of the whale fall back to the earth. I know in my soul, I know in my bones, that would sell. That is a good idea. I Screw it then. I'm calling dibs on that right now. I'm a partner with K2 on that. That would sell people in. Are you kidding me? Imagine how many you would sell. Listen to this. Imagine how many you would sell a in that town at the because the coast is lousy with gift shops. In Come the on. town, I could see it being okay. But also this. Success. Imagine how many you would sell every year on this date when he says they start. He says it's the most hit thing on their website every year. Imagine how many of those you'd sell if right next to the story online, which is the only place you can really see it most of the time, there was a little banner, buy your exploding whale snow globe. You know, $7. Click here. Money in the bank, baby. 
whatever. No one loves me. Okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. Hi. One more, and then we'll do a couple news. Stories, and we'll break. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show, jerks. Yeah, love me some exploding uh, snow globe there. That's what I'm saying. I was going to say, they should have out there at Florence, they should have like a little kiosk that you go in for, you know, a dollar or right. whatever. And then you could stand on the actual site of where the, where the uh, event took place, and they could have a flat screen TV in there that, like, for a quarter or whatever, you can... You can watch the scene. Or they could do like a little green screen kiosk. You know what I mean? Where like you get your photo taken, but behind they put the skyline of France. Um, you know, over like, like five yeah, bucks. That'll... Exactly. Yeah, yeah five bucks. They'll... And then you stand there next to Paul Inman. Yeah, they'll insert you into the whale footage. That's I was great. going to say, are they going to bring Paul Inman out for the exploding whale every year, or is that over? I don't know. Tim, oh. do we know? He works at a competing radio station now. Oh, I see. So, yeah, probably uh, not. No. They, they couldn't kick him a 10 spot to go over there. No, I would imagine not. Speaking of things that happen in the Northwest, yes. Um, please do uh, not overlook DB Cooper Day coming up at the end of this month. Thanksgiving is it the day after Thanksgiving? Um, I believe day after Thanksgiving. I don't know what the actual numeric date is, but uh, day after Thanksgiving, DB Cooper uh, Day. Aerial Store and Tavern, Area Washington has the DB Cooper Day. They, they hand the mannequins from the uh, from the trees. I love DB Cooper. Too. I love DB Cooper. God damn, I love Portland. I mean, really, how many great things? Are there? We just talked about the exploding whale and DB Cooper Day coming up. I mean, and, this, and we have you know the uh, general will. vicinity home of Tanya Harding. That's know? right, and it's Tanya Harding's birthday. I love living here. And the Christmas tree will be downtown Friday. I really now. When do they light it though? They light it uh, on the twenty eighth. Okay, I know it down there Friday. I go there every year and I watch the tree being lit because I love Christmas. Unironically. Well, have Have a great day on uh, KCMD Portland. Thank you, sir. All right, there you go. I'm saying it would sell. That's my only point. All right, by the way, still looking, we'll take a break here. Uh, still looking for the room number, and uh, I guess Steve was the guy's name. I guess Steve's phone is uh, still incommunicado. We have not heard back from Steve. So, uh, of course, uh, Mitch Mitchell, original drummer for the Jimi Hendrix Experience, found dead at the Benson Hotel in Portland earlier today. We had that breaking news here on uh, AM 970. So uh, if you are the first caller to get on the air and correctly identify the number of the room, the room number, uh, the room where uh, Mitch Mitchell was found dead, uh, you'll win uh, something bright and shiny. It's 503-733-2970. Back after this, more from Tim Riley, Mr. Skin. We'll talk to other guys from BaconSalt.com, Jim Roop, uh, and the top five songs that would accompany the opening credits of the movie of Tim Riley's life. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't go anywhere. the Rick Emerson radio program. It's bacon day. All right, so we uh yeah, we got this bacon salt. Sarah's got bacon uh, lip balm. All right. Uh let's see what else. And I know you you know, here's the thing. I know how uh, I know how you girls are. Um you're going to go out and you're going to be drinking with your girlfriends and they're all going to want to try it and then you're all going to have lips of bacon, which is like the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm gonna go to one of my girlfriends as like a um a fella and see if like like what the reaction is with from a guy just to spring it on him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Okay. 
Uh, but also, you probably kind of seem like I'm just like in the back, like shoving bacon in my face. No, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. What else? Oh, bacon ace. Yes, yeah, so we're going to talk to the guys from baconsalt.com uh, here in a short while. Uh, later on, Jim Roop from uh, Los Angeles. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com in short order. We'll have uh, Tim Riley's top five, theoretically speaking, although we're having some internet connectivity issues. So uh, we'll see if the network gets back up here. But theoretically speaking, we have uh, the top five songs that would accompany the opening credits to the movie of Tim Riley's life. I feel so lost without the internet. I know. Uh, let's see. They're going to shake the tubes a little bit and empty them out. Uh, we have uh, this this Mr. T infomercial. i got to try to play uh, e- either part of that or part of this Muzak CD. I mean, they're both really, really good. So. I'm going to do both of them since we can't play anything else. Let's uh, do these here, and then we'll uh, resume the news. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey, guys. Best show ever. Thank you. Uh, so it's my first weekend on the air doing weekends in a major market. And about halfway through my shift, I'm already nervous enough with, you know, being in a new place, new station, all that. All of a sudden, I hear this printing noise, and I look over, and the EAS machine is printing something. There's a red light flashing, and there's a countdown. I, I feel like Gene Hackman in Crimson Tide, where it's just kind of like, what What do I do? Right. Is it, but yeah, it's like a 10-minute countdown. I've got 10 minutes to decide whether or not this button launches a nuclear weapon or if it just <laughs> lets everybody know that there's, like, a missing child or yeah. whatever. So I call, and it's a weekend. I'm the new guy, so I've got the APD's number, the PD's number, the engineer's number. None of them are answering. Of course. So, of course, here I am just shaking in my little uh, radio boots. So, like, do I press this button? Does it does it make Mount does it make Mount Rainier explode? Does it tell everybody in Kent to evacuate? Uh, so finally, I run down the hall to another station, and I'm I'm freaking out. They're like, "Oh, it's just a monthly test. Just press the button, run the sounder, and it's fine." So I've learned to kind of have a, a, a passionate hatred for the EAS machine ever since. And because it sort of lurks there, and as you, as you were pointing out, you don't really know, you know, you, you don't really ever think that you're going to have to use it. I mean, they, they sort of show it to you, but of course, especially when you're, you know, maybe just getting into radio, you're just excited that you're going to be on the air, you're going to be a right. DJ or whatever. And, you know, that's kind of the thing you're thinking about. Uh, you're, you know, they're like, no, 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 this is really important. It's a federal requirement. You're like, yeah, requirement, requirement. Let me play Boston. Uh <laughs> So um, I feel your pain, sir. We have all had those moments. Well, and just one more thing. It also helped, too, that the uh, the sounder, the this is the test of the emergency alert system, right. was is pre-delay, but the alert was post-delay. Huh. So so whenever you'd run the two, it would just be a full-on third-term abortion. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, thanks. <laughs> wow. He kind of, uh, that had a little, uh, <laughs> a little spiky tail at the end of it. Uh, one more, and then we'll, uh, roll on with the, uh, the news today. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. That was like you? a Rickles uh, line there. Yes? Hello, sir. Hi. Hey, I would definitely buy one of those, uh, well globes from you. Bastards? I, I, I mean, not I you, put, sir. I would put it on my shelf right next to my Jake the Alligator Man sticker. Thank that I got you. from Long Beach. By the way, let me just, uh, for those who still doubt, let me read just a, uh, just a couple of these. I'm not even going to read the emails themselves. Subject line. <laughs> that is genius. Next one. Effing genius. I would buy that. Next one. That actually is the best idea ever. There you go. I'm just saying. Heck yeah. All right. I know what the and people I, like. And also, to that, the, the bacon lipstick thing. Yeah. That would be awesome. Uh, anytime you get want to go downtown, you know what I mean? It'll just taste like bacon. So you're winning both ways. 
<laughs> Best show ever. Okay. You mean like taking a cab downtown? To go to Dante's? Here's a... And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Well, evil lat there is really what kind of creeped me out. It looks like the Oregon State University basketball team uh-huh. will have two celebrities present when they travel to Howard University in D.C. The president-elect and first lady-elect, Barack and Michelle Obama. Why is that? Well, Michelle Obama's brother is the coach of the Oregon State basketball team. His name is Craig Robinson. Students are very excited about this possibility. Oops, my pot is down. Oops, 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 oops. Here we go. President, and then there's a possibility that he can come to my school to see a basketball game. It's hard to believe. The country's uh, new first daughters have not yet received an invitation from Miley Cyrus or her father to join the cast of Disney's Hannah Montana. That, according to a source within President-elect Barack Obama's camp. Meanwhile, John McCain was on Leno last night. He was very funny. He reflected on life after losing the presidential primary. Well, I've been sleeping like a baby. Yeah. yeah. Um, sleep two hours, wake up and cry. Sleep two hours. <laughs> okay, see? That's funny. That's see, the real John McCain. Now, look. Now, see, I'm going to say, I will now say exactly the same thing that everyone in the country said in 1996 about Bob Dole. If he had been that way during the election, might have been a close race. Probably wouldn't have won. You know, a lot of people feel this was Obama's year and nobody would have beaten him. But if he had been that way during the campaign... Legit, because you know during the campaign he was doing the forced jokes, the terrible forced scripted jokes. Maybe that was scripted, but it sounded real. If he had been that way during the campaign, he might be president. Uh, he explains what he did the day after losing the election. Went down to get a cup of coffee. Cindy okay. and I went down to get a cup of coffee, and uh, and then she uh, made out the with the barista. I knew what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm sorry, I stepped on the joke there. I don't even know. Well, here comes another one. Uh, He said uh, Sarah Palin did not hurt his campaign. I couldn't be happier with Sarah Palin, and and she's going back to be a great governor, and I think she will play a big role in the future of this country. Then President Bush was on CNN's The Situation Room. Remember President Bush? He said there are some things he wished he didn't say during his presidency. Dead or alive, bring them on. uh, And by the way, my wife reminded me, that, hey, as President of the United States, you better be careful what you say. And, of course, he And about drinking before noon. He's wasted. <laughs> hey, why shouldn't he be at this point? He I probably guess. has him for quite yeah. some time. And, of course, he regrets that uh, famous banner aboard the battleship. And they had a sign that said, Mission Accomplished. I regret that, uh, you know, that sign was there. It was a sign aimed at the sailors on that ship. However, it conveyed a you know, broader knowledge. Is he drinking again? I don't know. I, but you know what? Knowledge. I I agree with you though, Tim. That he's just he's done. He's ready to be. He's ready to leave. Um, that's why I mean, you know, they were saying there was this, this stress or tension between him and Obama when Obama went in. But I don't think it was that way. I mean, I maybe this is just my sort of romantic image of it. But I got to figure that. Look, the whole history of, of the country, we've only had uh, you know what we've had now forty four presidents. You've had only forty four. You know, we've been here for uh, 222 years, something like that, Um, 232 years. So at 232 years, that's, I mean, well, there's 300 million people in the country now. So a few billion people have lived in this country. Of a few billion people who have been Americans, there's only 44 people who have been president. I think once you get to that point, when it is George W. Bush talking to Barack Obama, I think honestly, truly, 
all that partisan crap just probably does fall away. I think it would, I think because, you know, I mean, not to sound all corny about it, but I mean, look, they got the, you know, in some ways, the toughest job in the world. Yeah. And I mean, you know, George, George W. And you got to be full of crap to get the job. Yeah. And I mean, and. You know, George W. Bush, despite what people, I think, would sometimes believe, doesn't hate America. You know, he's a, he's not a very bright guy, obviously, but I don't feel but like... But it didn't matter that he isn't. No, I mean, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter at all. And I don't, you know, as we said last week, you know, about, before the election, I've never gotten the feeling that George W. Bush was a bad person. He's just kind of dumb and stubborn. Well, there's a difference between evil and he's stupidity. Evil. And that, and that's what I mean. He's not, I don't, you know, I don't believe he's evil. I just believe he's, I believe he is easily manipulated and intractable and not too bright. So... I suspect that when he and Barack Obama were sitting down, that it was just like a whole lot of like, well, have have fun. This uh, boy, this whole joint's broken. So uh, you know, good luck with that. I'm uh, I'm ready to leave now. I still don't believe that that the country nominated Barack Obama. It, it, it still seems not real. It's it's pretty it's pretty surreal. It's pretty it's pretty cool, is what it is. I mean, it really is. I mean, even now, more than a week later. And who knows? It's only a week. Maybe in six months, if he hasn't fixed anything, we'll all be turning on him. Well, everything's on automatic pilot right now, anyway. Uh, well, because we only have one president as a time, at a mm. time, as Barack Obama keeps saying. But it's, uh, it is, it is pretty great. It really is. I mean, it, it is, there's no way it would be. I would be putting on a false sort of sheen of cynicism, or I'd try to. I would be putting on a fake veneer of like. I don't know, jadedness or, or whatever to, to pretend otherwise. I'm just saying no, it's, it's cool. It is, it's an exciting it's, time. It's really, it's really cool. I mean, it just, there's just no getting around it. Uh, this is a good time, by the way, to mention that there's those photographs of Cindy McCain making out with some other guy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. He looked like some washed up 80s rock star, according yes. to the Inquirer. Yes, he did. All right, here's Tim Riley. Richie, are we talking to Mr. Skin or I'm kind of unclear oh, about Oh, no. Oh, see, now is it too. It might be too late. Richie, Richie is it, is it. Richie, well, just get, will you get him before he calls? Richie. Or Mrs. Skin. Richie, don't Richie's call. Not. Stop calling. Stop calling now. Thank you. Now, will you do this? Will you, um, uh, I hate to be doing this stuff on the air. We, we, uh, we, and I do mean we, Richie, uh, you and I both, we really, we need to be better about staying within the time frame of that guy. Because I feel like such a jerk that he's, uh, you know, he's around and then we kind of, no, we went to the news so I just assumed that maybe he was going to be later today. No, and it, well, first, it, to be fair, at first he was going to be out of the country and then it turned out he was here. So at this point, Richie, uh, would you let Skin know that we're, can we do it tomorrow and find out if we could talk to Mr. Skin tomorrow or Friday? That would be, that would be really great. Because we do a few more, then we got the the bacon salt guys, and then Jim Roop at the top five, and it's all very, you know, yeah. Here's uh, Tim Riley. Michigan Senator Debbie Stabenow says there's an auto industry trade disparity between the U.S. and South Korea, and therefore we should give the big three $25 billion, and why not? Around the world, we have countries like South Korea where our automobile companies cannot have open access to markets while they're selling automobiles to us. We can't sell uh, equally to them. There are many reasons for that. Most people don't want them, and we don't fall within their uh, air pollution control things no. in most countries. No. Uh, the automobile uh, innovation is government-financed in many countries, and therefore we should finance the U.S. auto industry to be just like the other countries. We have every other country in the world assuming the innovation cost of battery technology research and so on. In this country, we put it on the back of our companies. Well, no, you make gas guzzlers. A Maryland congresswoman, or congressman, Elijah Cummings, is calling on the head of AIG to resign. This comes as AIG and its CIO, Edward Liddy, come under fire for meeting an exclusive resort in Phoenix. This is like the Titanic going down, and, and these folks asking us to rescue them. The Titanic's going down, but they're still playing their music, and they're still partying, and they're still dancing. 
So I, you know, I, I told you I got this envelope in the mail from AIG, and I actually forgot to open it. I'm curious to see what's inside there. Um, but what is AIG? Auto insurance. I have them. Yeah, the uh, yeah. So they're oh, okay. you know one of the huge insurance groups that uh, you know that, that kind of went belly up and is getting all of this cash. But Lycus actually did. He did a really great hour about this uh, yesterday, where he was talking about a DHL. Is now, I guess, gone. I don't even think it's going out of business. I think they are gone. Right. Uh, they're, they're closing down their American operation. They're international. And it's weird because, you know, they, they do all of our uh, all of our deliveries here, our DHL. Yeah. And so that there's an envelope right over there, which you, I guess you can throw away now. It'll go nowhere. Um, you know, and so I was, I think uh, Cheryl was saying, like, you know, we just don't really know who's going to deliver any of our packages now. Um, so there's that. Uh, there's, uh, was it Circuit City? Yes, Circuit City. Sorry. Circuit City, gone. You know, and those are big companies. Those aren't like mom and pop. And I'm not trying to diminish being a mom and pop, but I mean, those are those are huge, you know, cross country, tens of thousands of employees. And Lycus made the very fair point. He said, you know what? You got all of these people who are going to be laid off by Circuit City. You got all these people who are going to be laid off by DHL. Holidays are coming, meaning that it's going to be harder to find work because everybody out there looking for a holiday temp job. Why isn't the government saying, okay, well, look, we're going to uh, help, so bail, out, we're gonna help bail out Circuit City. Why isn't the government saying, hey, we're going to help bail out DHL? I'm not saying that they necessarily should, but I guess my point is, why stop at the auto industry? You know what I mean? It, either, you know, it, it seems like you either, uh, you either got to bail out everybody of a certain size or you're going to bail out nobody of a certain size. It seems very arbitrary and unfair to say that certain large companies deserve handouts from the government, from us, from Tim and Sarah and myself and everybody else who pays taxes, you know, that they need this free money, essentially, and that other large companies don't. And, and I mean, it, you know, and, and, and other companies, they're going to be firing people. I mean, we probably all know people who will be affected by, like, the, D, I mean, the DHL or Circuit City. I would imagine we have listeners that worked either at DHL yes. or Circuit City who are now going to be unemployed because the company's going under, and they somehow don't, you know, they somehow don't qualify. The government doesn't really care about them as much as they care about, like, oh, I don't know, an auto industry that keeps building cars no one wants to buy. For the love of God. All right. Let's do uh, one Except more. Except for those giving those giant tax write-offs. Yes. Let's do uh, one more, and then I'm going to make a little uh, announcement, then we'll uh, take a break. So you can expect less help on the retail sales for this Christmas at department stores. Oops. Is my pot up? Less help on the floor this Christmas season. So if you're looking some, for something, you're going to have to look harder to find someone to help you. Uh, the other and probably lesser, lesser thought of impact is, and just having staff on the store to replenish the merchandise as it sells and neaten up will be less. So finding merchandise at a big sale day gets even more difficult as customers come in, pick merchandise up, move it around, put it back down. Well, you know, we're just going to have to learn to do more with less, Tim. But you know what the other point is? If you go into a department store and want to make a major purchase, uh -huh. I mean, I cannot imagine buying, uh, say, a two or three hundred dollars suit from a teenager right. who really doesn't know what he's selling right. or she is selling. I mean, you do have to have adults selling things to adults at well, some point. You know, and then the problem is, of course, if they just, uh, you know, a lot of these places. I don't mean to pick on the on, on the young, but uh, you know, I'm mean, gonna they, you know, they, they, but they'll fire somebody not because of age per se. That would be illegal. Mm -hmm. But you know what they'll. This is how they. This is how they cloak everything now. And I do. I'm just. I, I'm really honestly not speaking about anybody in particular. I really honestly am not. I am just speaking about. And I am not anti-business. Don't think I'm some weird nutcase hippie. I am a capitalist like everybody else in this country. 
you know what? The free market works, uh, you know, the way the free market works. I also, though, just know that certain things are the realities. And there are companies uh, in whatever field that just take advantage of times like this to do a little house cleaning, get rid of folks uh, that they don't want there for whatever reason. Yes. Uh, and they will just say, well, you know, it's uh, it's just because of the economic realities. That's why we've made this decision. So, you know, and sometimes that's true. Sometimes it ain't. That's all. Well, this is a good time to break, actually. Um, so, uh, Tim, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk to the bacon salt guys about bacon A's. Then Jim Roop. And then later, Tim Riley, your top five today. That, that'll be wonderful. Top five songs that will accompany the opening credits to the movie of Tim Riley's life. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. And also, because I don't think anybody has called up with it, when we return, we will announce the room number. We will announce the number of the room in which Jimi Hendrix drummer Mitch Mitchell died. We will announce that room number when we get back. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't go anywhere. Sarah and I were just doing each other's hair. It's the uh, Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. That'll be what it's like someday when I keel over of a stroke dead during the show. Just be a lot of, like, bumper <laughs> music, and then it'll just end, and there'll just be a lot of... Uh, and I'll be sitting here and be like, Rick's still in the bathroom. Rick? Where's Rick? Rick? Mr. Mitchell? Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, let's see. We got Jim Roop coming up at uh, about two fifteen today. Uh, senior radio correspondent Jim Roop. We have uh, let's see Tim Riley's top five coming up later on. Top five songs that would be the accompaniment to the opening credit sequence in the movie of Tim's Riley uh, Tim Riley's life. Um, that and some other stuff and uh, whatever. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson show though. From now, I want to make sure that I introduce this correctly. Justin, now is the company still called Bacon Salt? What is the name of the company now? Well, the name of the company has always been J&D's Foods. It oh. stands for Justin and Dave. Well, never mind. Uh, and then Bacon Salt uh, was our flagship product, the first one we ever came out with. So, uh, so i got to tell you, uh, first of all, I was actually talking. Oh, you know what? And Sarah, did I tell you this? I actually now, I got permission. I can actually talk about my outside project now. No way. I actually got permission yesterday. All right, that so you're on TV on the CW on Sundays? Yes, I am, Sarah. I, Rick Emerson, uh, host a television program. Uh, Sunday mornings on the CW, a fine show called Outlook Portland, on which I interview uh, any number of guests and movers and shakers in the Portland community. So, and I do have a point with all this, so I actually, we tape it in advance, but this morning on Outlook Portland on the CW, uh, I was taping the, 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 our upcoming episode and I had, um, 
I had two of the uh, food critics from the uh, Willamette Week on. Uh, I had Kelly Clark and uh, and uh, uh, Ben Waterhouse on. Who and they're the you know the arts and uh, and culture um, editor and assistant editor respectively. Anyway, we talked a lot about food, and I said, uh, you know, we uh, I said we're living in the middle of this sort of bacon renaissance, and it really is a good time to be a bacon enthusiast. And as proof of that, I of course name checked bacon salt and bacon a's about which we'll talk more in a moment. And I actually see where did I, where did I put it? I actually held up. Now you of course can't see this, Justin, but I I have here in my hands something given to me by a listener. And what this listener did is they took a piece of bacon, they cooked it, they uh, they took a sort of red adhesive embossed letters, they affixed my name to the piece of bacon, and then they encased the bacon in what is essentially lucite, like a, like a clear plastic polymer. And they made a, a nameplate for my desk that is on a piece of plastic enclo- enclosed bacon. So that's amazing because they know that this is uh, you know the, 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 you know the, for bacon lovers this is our time down here. So <laughs> it's what, a bacon friendly program on the Rick Emerson show. Totally. So I mean, uh, so we've had you on obviously in the past to talk about bacon salt. How how's that going for? How is the how's the bacon salt empire going? Um, it's you know it's just amazing. Um, it keeps getting better and it, it's grown really well. And we've just been really excited that the feedback has been this positive. And we're from Seattle. We only launched in the Northwest and in, uh, in basically in Seattle and in Portland and Boise, uh, just about one year ago today when the grocery stores, uh, QFC was the first, right. you know, chain to pick it up. And we're going to finish this year somewhere right between nine and 10,000 stores worldwide. Um, and you know, the, the product's been picked up, kind of carried and the story's been put out there pretty well well by a lot of different media outlets which is i mean we made it on good morning america it was just it was it's been kind of this amazing wild ride uh the u.s military as well just picked up bacon salt for all the commissaries worldwide that is Um, great i mean really when one is uh you know when one is in perhaps stressful or trying circumstances far from home uh you know there are uh, few things that are more comforting of a comfort food than bacon so and your bacon chapstick is amazing by the way the bacon chapstick yes it's genius we're going to start mailing that along with our, in our, in our Operation Bacon Salt packages. The, the military actually picked up bacon salt because we sent it for free to troops in Iraq and Afghanistan right, right. stationed abroad. Right. And uh, we thought they could probably use some chapstick as well. So that's going in going in from a well of being in the sun all day. The great taste of home. Uh, and that brings <laughs> us actually to bacon A's. And, yeah. of course, like everything else, the slogan is everything should taste like bacon. So, I mean, it sounds like a dumb question, but this is it is it is mayonnaise uh, that tastes like bacon, or is it the, is the mayonnaise... Is the mayonnaise itself of a of a certain flavor, and then you add bacon to it, or what does this taste like? I mean, there's actually no bacon in it, uh, just like bacon salt. Uh, right. We make vegetarian products, so that it, that is uh, it's a vegetarian as well as kosher bacon flavored mayonnaise product. Um, we, we came out with it, and the, you know when we first started working on this, and, and you know Dave and I were like, well, what do we want this to taste like? And we sat down with the the, the, the food development team, and you know Dave actually took a piece of bacon, like a cold giant cooked thick piece of bacon and just dipped it in a jar of mayonnaise and pulled it out and said, I want it to taste like that. <laughs> and that's what we went for. That's I mean, this wonderful. is bacon A's. This is not mayo cun. Okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to, I'm just looking at I'm picturing the two words in my head right now. Oh um, my gosh, that must make like the best BLT spread. Oh, I dude, can't even imagine. I uh, don't even want to think about it. I, you know, here's the thing. I got to tell you this. Uh, my wife is actually gone. She's out of the country for two weeks. 
And so at home right now, uh, there are no limits on what I can eat. Because, you know, my, <laughs> I tell you this, and I, and I understand that it's, you know, again, you know, it's kosher and vegetarian, and it's very helpful and so forth. But th- that being said, my wife sometimes, uh, as my wife often says, you shouldn't even train your body to like the, cert- the taste of certain things. Which is why my wife, for example, if she's trying to get off soda, she won't even drink diet. She's like, you know, I don't want to keep sending my me- the message to my body that I should be drinking soda. So I will tell you that real bacon in this or not, uh, now that she's out of town, doesn't matter. I can be eating this like like there's nobody's business. So I'm going to go home and make myself a bacon A's sandwich tonight, sir. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it really is wonderful stuff. And we made two versions. We made an original as well as a light. Um, you know, and and it's just so you guys know, light mayonnaise. I had no idea until I got into this kind of into this this part of it. All the only difference between light mayonnaise and regular mayonnaise is they take eighty percent of the oil out and substitute it with water. Um, but but our mayonnaise, baconaise, um, is actually healthier for you than regular mayonnaise. Like if you put it up against fast foods or Kraft or anything like that, it, it's actually healthier for so you. So it really is. Let's just be honest. It really is the greatest product ever. I, mean, I encourage you to spoon feed yourself. I mean, just just eat it right out of the jar. I, I'd actually like to replace marshmallow fluff as the best comfort food in the world. Make myself a, uh, a fluffer nutter with bacon. Um, it, yeah. it, it just as we as we sort of wrap this up here, uh, there, it, bacon products pitched to you or that you thought of that you then decided were just too much. I mean, you're you're already doing bacon mayonnaise, bacon salt, bacon chapstick. I mean, has there been anything you sort of pondered and then you went, oh, that's just it's just it's just wrong. We can't do that. It's just too far over yeah. the top. You know, we get that stuff all the time. Um, we, we, I mean, literally, our strategy sessions are kind of just like sitting around drinking beers, talking about what to make taste like bacon next. Um, we have a lit. I mean, there's a, a whole next to me. There's just a whole whiteboard full of bacon-related products. Um, I don't know. You, none of them. You can't ever mess up with bacon. I mean, we just wonder if anybody will buy the stuff if we went as far as to make like. Bacon flavored fried chicken coatings and like bacon flavored everything. I mean, you can go as far as you want. We just want to stay practical, focused, on target. What are people going to like? What what has a mass appeal? And you know, bacon lip balm was our first kind of step outside the norm. And we made it as like a joke, as a gag gift. I mean, when we first tried to make it, the the, the lip balm company was like, "You have to be kidding me! You want what?" And uh, everyone loves it. I mean, I, I think it's great. I got to tell you, we opened up the, uh, the the sort of the care package you sent us today. Bacon salt, bacon mayonnaise. But my producer Sarah immediately went for the bacon lip balm. I'm sorry, I had to. It's it's genius. So uh, it's uh, great. As we uh, as we wrap this up, I'm going to give you one suggestion here. Uh, maybe on the uh, on the liquor or spirits front, bacon mm-hmm. a bacon teeny, like, like a martini, but with bacon. I'm in. It also goes great with bourbon. Try it. Bacon and bourbon. Rich, smoky, delicious together. Amazing. Done and done. All right. Well, best of continued success to you guys uh, in everything. Uh, the website is, well, there's, there's baconsalt.com, baconaise.com, and is there a website just for the, for the, for the overall business? Uh, well, J and JD's JD Foods is fine, but you can just go to Bacon Salt or Bacon A's, and it will be available all over Portland and QFC stores in about five days. Fantastic. So I'm going to enjoy the next five days of uh, being one of the only people in the town with a jar of Bacon A's in my hand. Please do. All right. Congratulations, and a continued <laughs> success, sir. Thanks a lot, Rick. Right, there you go. That is uh, Justin of Justin and Dave, the fine folks behind Bacon Salt, and now Bacon A's. That's wonderful. Oh, I thought you meant, and now, Jim Ru- Oh. And Bacon A's. And bacon ice. And now, is this uh, Richie? Is it Jim Rupert? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. It's not on hold. I'm so confused. Hold on. I'm going to put this on hold and then pick it up. Is this Jim Rupert? Well, it's... Uh... Well, I'm going to hang up. I think Richie was maybe called. 
Oh. Sorry, Richie. That was him calling somebody. Oh, I've just done a him. I just did a Richie. I hung up the phone while he was trying to dial. Normally, it's the other way around. Well, uh, well, let's get the, this guy who wants to talk about random crap. Hello, sir. <laughs> Hi, Rick. This is Jesse. Hello, sir. Uh, hey, you know, it's interesting that uh, you're talking about unemployment because I'm actually the unemployed guy that you talked to at the uh, Indiana Jones. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Which I've had two jobs since then. So, Hooray. So, so it is the uh, the best of times, the worst of times. Hired uh, and fired. Hired and fired. Yeah, very yeah, true. Yeah. So. Anyways, uh, a couple of random things. Uh, now that I have an actual day job, I don't get to listen to the uh, the show live much. So lots of uh, lots of podcasts. Um, point number one: I love nickel wafers and pineapple dum dums. So you are the guy. I am that guy. Uh, number two: uh, fentanyl as the uh, the most powerful narcotic on the planet. Yes, sir. Uh, it's actually a replacement for a Demerol. It, you mean? So. Do you mean like just like just for you at parties or in general, uh, like in the medical yeah. industry? In, in the medical industry, I I'm one of those people that gets kidney stones. I've had seven. Uh, my drug of choice at the hospital was Demerol. Uh, about two years ago, they said, "Oh, by the way, we have this new thing called fentanyl." Right. Uh, fantastic. It takes like a quarter of the amount, and uh, uh, and it does cause nausea in large amounts. Okay. So the guys that are throwing up, that's the deal. Uh, it's actually a cocktail with another drug called Phenergan, which is a nausea reducer. Um, the last thing is, I'm all over the place here. Uh, <laughs> you probably did not watch the uh, the movie Speed Racer, but uh, Speed Racer's hometown in the movie. Anyone? No, Tim. Speed Racer's hometown in the movie. Scranton. I got another. Cosmopolis. <gasps> Cosmopolis? Are you kidding me? I am not. I had I, I had to back it up twice. Was it that way in the cartoon, Tim? Did they ever say that Speed Racer was from Cosmopolis? It's, it's, not, so, it's yeah. not in. It's not in the cartoon. It's actually Are in the sure new movie. That? Uh, the new movie is his hometown, which is where he lives, which is the you know the first track that he races on is the racetrack is in Cosmopolis. That is so mm. righteous. Cosmopolis, of course, is our favorite city. I actually have one of my proud possessions is a patch from the Cosmopolis to Police Department that I put on my uh, Mary's Club city, jacket. City of tomorrow. Excellent. Science and technology. Gold. All right. Thank you, my friend. Outstanding. Thank you, Rick. There you go. Cosmopolis, city of tomorrow, on the edge of time. Cosmopolis. All right, I'm unclear about whether we're going to get Rupert or not. I guess we had him, then we lost him. Apparently he's on the road. Hey, Richie, is it going to be a drag for him? Because we can always just do it tomorrow. Yeah, we're All right, you know, let him know. I don't want to get, I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to cause a bunch of ruckus. So let him know that we'll, we'll just hook up with him tomorrow. So, all right, there you go. Uh, well, let's get this call then. Hi, you're on the uh, Rick Emerson radio program. Hello there. Hey, Rick. Hey, what do you got? Um, I, uh... Wanted to call in with this uh, around Halloween, uh, but I, I didn't get around to it. Um, you're familiar with the War of the Worlds, yes? And the the whole um, broadcast and the kerfuffle, the the panic, the uh, Orson Welles War of the Worlds broadcast. Seven, what, 1938? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I assume uh, you know all about that because you're a science science fiction uh, geek and all that. Have you ever heard about some of the other broadcasts that were done a month or two later because of the success of that in other parts of the world? No. I've, um, in Venezuela, about two months afterwards, uh, February, um, I'm looking at the uh, thing right now. Um, they did it just like uh, Gordon Orson Welles did. He took and they localized it to their region uh, to make it seem more realistic. Um, the uh, I'm reading it here. A fake priest begged for God's mercy. This broadcast also terrified its listeners. Many ran for safety. Others began rioting. The radio station pled for calm, admitting the broadcast had been a prank. This embarrassed and infuriated the rioters who surrounded the station, pummeling it with stones. <laughs> Appeals to the authorities for help were fruitless. 
the police and local army units had been sent off to the mountains to fight the Martians. Hmm. By the time they were recalled, the station had been burnt to the ground. <laughs> wow. Uh, Jesus. 20 people died, 15 were injured, 350 in damages had done well you know there's i have to say in uh, that is one of those things that is uh for good or bad the forerunner of the idiot dj prank of today oh yeah so, well, like i said you were talking about your emergency broadcast yeah and stuff, and it went off by the, the way here's a little fun fact because of orson wells and the war of the worlds it yeah. is now at least it was for a long time i'm assuming it still is uh, it is actually against the law on any federally licensed over-the-air broadcast, which includes television and radio, it is actually against the law to say we interrupt this program with an emergency announcement. Uh, if you use that phrase outside of an actual emergency, yeah, that is actually a violation of federal law. You can say special announcement, update, bulletin, whatever. You cannot say, though, we interrupt this program with an emergency announcement unless it is an actual emergency, and that is because... I believe that is the phrase that Orson Welles used in War of the World, and it caused such a ruckus, and apparently everywhere else, that they had to, uh, they had to, ch they had to uh, clamp down on some folks about that. Excellent. Thank you for the uh, info, sir. Thank you, sir. Have a good uh, day. There you go. Fantastic. All right. So uh, about 22 after. Uh, I promise to play a little bit of this, so we'll do it, and we'll break. Come back. News top five. Um, Are you going to play this into the break? Uh, well, what would what you? I'll, I'll do a little bit of this uh, of this infomercial. I have this wonderful CD from the Muzak Company, but I think I'll save that till tomorrow. This was sent to me by several people. This is uh, this is part of this infomercial uh, that stars uh, Mr. T. And let's see if I can back this up here. All right, I'm not sure how much of this will play. It uh, we were having a little bit of a, a buffering issue, so we'll see exactly how much of this I can get to run. But it is an infomercial for the Flavor Wave Oven Turbo. I'm just going to read here the description. Rick, here is the uh, uh, the infomercial for the Flavor Wave Oven Turbo. It is hosted by the one and only Mr. T. Of course, he's best known for his uh, role on the A-Team. It says here on the site, Mr. T has never been renowned for his acting prowess, but his stiff and awkward attempts to read cue cards of the Flavor Wave Oven infomercial makes his performance as B.A. Baracus look like Olivier's Hamlet. There's the cheesy script repeatedly forces Mr. T to utter his old catchphrases from the A-Team and then apply them to the Flavor Wave Oven Turbo. So um, we'll just play a little bit of this. This is like a boiled down sort of a distillation. And i got to say, by the way, look, nobody stays young forever. Mr. T looks old. Mr. T looks old. And I would say a little unhappy and quite a bit confused. Well, he has a lot of spare time on his hands. I guess. So he doesn't appear to be entirely certain as to why he is in this infomercial. Let's see if I can get this to play. With the incredible Flavor Wave Turbo Oven. Now to learn more, let's join actress and TV personality Carla Hahn, along with her very special guest, TV action hero and American icon, the one and only Mr. T. First of all, who is Darla Hahn? Apparently she's an actress. Darla Hahn, anybody? No. No, I don't know any Darla's. Darla Hahn, H-A-U-N. Yeah, I have no idea. All right. So there's Mr. T, by the way, who is wearing a lot of baggy clothes. I think there's more of him to love at this point. He enters the set. It's in the faux kitchen, like a lot of infomercials are. Enters the set by kicking down the door. Oh, no, he doesn't. I kind of want to watch it with you. You should come over to my side of the desk. Okay. I can post I'm going to my headphones over. I can post this later on the, on the web. So uh, May I come over, too? Sure. Let's all stand here. Um, I'll post this later on my website because people, you know, we're doing that thing where we're watching something um, on the radio. 
But uh, I got to tell you, I don't know what the average age of the attendee here is. I don't know what the average age of the audience member is. Tim, are you able to hear this? I can hear it. All right. So let me, uh... Along with her very special guest, TV action hero and American icon, the one and only, Mr. T. <laughs> little unsteady on his feet. Now look at the people in this audience. How old would you say this crowd is? <laughs> you could have used the doorknob. These people are not... A hungry guy like me just couldn't wait that long. <laughs> when you invited me to a delicious home-cooked meal, one that would keep my waistline beautiful, what can you expect? <laughs> we'll eat in just a few minutes, just as soon as you pick what you want. Dollar, I'm my eyes be... Now, 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 hold on, before we even... Oh, it's a plateful of raw meat. So wonderful. Do you suppose it's awkward for her that she has to call him Mr. T? Yes. I mean, wouldn't you call him T? Not unless he said, but I could. I mean... Uh, I wouldn't bring it up. If I was to meet Mr. T, I think that's what I would do. I think I would say, I, you know, the first time I'd say, hey, here's Mr. T. And then I think I would actually just say, so, T, let me ask you. But that does beg the question. What do you, do you... Has anybody here ever known somebody in real life whose first name was an initial? You know, like G. Gordon Liddy, J. Edgar Hoover, C. Foster Kane? I've known none of them, no. Because... Just, I've known, like, initials, like, a couple of them. But what do you call somebody whose first name is an initial, like A. Whitney Brown? I mean, that sounds like a dumb a. Seinfeld thing. But, I mean, I, do you call him A or do you call him Whitney? How about C. Thomas Howell? I don't know. That's, I mean, really, uh, and that's a thing I would really like the answer to, if somebody knows. What do you call a guy? But I would just call him T. So, let's... Uh, Wait that long. <laughs> well, you invited me to a delicious home-cooked meal, one that would keep my waistline beautiful. <laughs> what can you expect? <laughs> that's okay, Mr. T. We'll eat in just a few minutes. Just as soon as you pick what you want. Darla, are my eyes deceiving me, or am I looking at the frozen food section at the supermarket? Oh, I didn't know what you'd want. So you get to choose from chicken, steak, burgers, fish, ribs. Well, these are all frozen solid. <laughs> he says, of course, pounding the food on the counter. And the script says, tap it three times. <laughs> Who tries to get this down? I want to oh, eat Oh, wait a second. Did I miss that pity the fool? Why am I looking at the frozen food section at the supermarket? Well, I didn't know what you'd want. So you get to choose from chicken, steak, burgers, fish, ribs. But these are all frozen solid. <laughs> I pity the fool tries to get this down. I want to eat right now. Not in a few hours. How long do I have to wait? In just minutes from the time you pick what you want. You're joking, right? Just humor me, Mr. T. Okay. <laughs> I will take a nice, juicy, medium-rare steak. Okay, now that's the spirit. How about a potato and corn on the side? That's even better. Now, the best thing is that the audience, you know, I know it in commercials, and Tim, you've been in the audience recently. They tell you to really react, but the thing is, they're reacting to everything. Everything he says gets an ooh or an ah or a... You know, would you like some corn? <laughs> corn. Well, you know, they may have done every one of these takes several times. I would, got it right. I would imagine that. Is and the they case. probably get a hot lunch instead of a box lunch. Perfect. Now, I want to introduce you to our professional cook. This is the Flavor Wave Turbo Oven. This is the cook? This is the cook. That's cool. And it's so compact and convenient. You're going to keep it on your counter and use it every day. I just put my food in. And I'm going to put a little seasoning on the top of your steak, so it'll be extra yummy. Now, Mr. Oh, damn. Oh, it, it stopped uh, for some reason. Okay, so I'm going to, uh, let's take a break here. It's I'm going to, uh, we'll refresh this, and let's see if I can get the entire audio from it. Uh, so we've, yeah, we've got a couple minutes left. But, but I noticed when he kicked the door down, that door didn't even have hinges. No, there were no hinges on that door. So that's, uh, so that's wonderful. So we'll, we'll finish that on the other side, and then we'll do the uh, top five. Top five songs. 
that would accompany the opening credit sequence to the movie of Tim Riley's life. I pity the fool who misses the next step. And I didn't announce the room number, did I? No. Okay. Sarah, don't let me forget. Okay. Well, no. When we come back, we'll announce the number of the room in which Mitch Mitchell from the Jimi Hendrix Experience died at the Benson Hotel in Portland, Oregon. We will do that when we get back. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. So I think we will uh, we'll end up doing the rest of that uh, Mr. T infomercial tomorrow. We'll do it in its entirety tomorrow. Because it's genius. Something to look forward to. By the way, this uh, email says, Rick, I don't know if you mentioned it, but it's sort of peculiar. Mitch Mitchell passed on in Portland. Remember, it was at the Crystal Ballroom where Hendrix got fired on stage by Little Richard, thus launching his solo career. A uh, bit of weird full circle. All right. Uh, well, on that note, actually, uh, and then we'll do a couple of the things, uh, and then we'll move to the top five uh, for today. Uh, a couple of things. Let's uh, go to the phones here because, of course, Mitch Mitchell, who's the uh, drummer for the original Jimi Hendrix Experience, found dead uh, in his room at the Benson Hotel today here in Portland, Oregon. They even played. They say it's not true. It is. Even though they apparently deny it if you call them. Uh, we have had several off-air confirmations of the room number. We were attempting to locate the room in which Mitch Mitchell found dead. This city is fascinating. There are people everywhere. You you know somebody everywhere. That's the thing, man. What's like when that guy let, jumped off the Paramount? You know what I mean? We immediately found him like, I was right there. You know, mm. some guy. Uh, behold the power and uh, reach of CBS Radio. Uh, hello. Hi. Welcome to the Rick Emerson Show. How are you today? Doing well. Yourself? I am uh, fantastic, sir. And, of course, you know, we were offering uh, a bright, shiny prize, uh, possibly a four-pack of tickets to Ski Fever, along with a pair of lift tickets to an Oregon ski resort, uh, and quite possibly a brand-new, new, new I screwed it up, a brand-new brand, a brand GNU brand snowboard. Uh, but we are looking for the first uh, caller who can get on the air with the correct room number here, who can correctly identify the number of the room in which Mitch Mitchell was found dead. Uh, do you have the number, sir? One, two, three, three. And now, based on the information we have heard, and this is from several independent sources, that is, in fact, true. So, uh, folks, we're playing the home game. Uh, Mitch Mitchell, drummer for the Jimi Hendrix Experience, found dead at the Benson Hotel in Portland in room 1233. Uh, so, there so you go. would that be the 12th floor? Um, I guess, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, yeah. That presumably would be how that goes. And know that's, is that really the 13th floor, Tim? Oh, uh, I don't want to think about that. So, uh, room 1233, room 1233, is uh, apparently where Mitch Mitchell was found dead at the Benson Hotel in Portland, room 1233. So, uh, congratulations, sir. Thank you very much. Appreciate All right. That. There you go. That's uh, Lemons in the Lemonade. I'm going to put you on hold. Richie can get his information, and uh, we'll toss something nice his way. All right. Um, and uh, so forth. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. A babysitter's parrot is credited with saving a child's life. Megan Howard says she was in another room when she heard the parrot start yelling. I started saying mama baby over and over and over again, and when I came out and went over to Hannah, her face was turning blue because she was choking, and the second I went over to her, he stopped like he knew that it was going to be okay. That's one smart parrot. The child was choking on a Pop-Tart. Same-sex marriage now officially legal in Connecticut. We are putting aside all of our past positions, whatever personal opinions or objections we may have, to make sure that this decision is honored 
and followed and enforced. Who is that? That is the State Attorney General of Connecticut, Richard Blumenthal. Good for him. Ben Klein, an attorney for the Gay and Lesbian Alliance for Defamation, said this is a proud day. Today, Connecticut sends a message of hope and inspiration to lesbian and gay people throughout this country who simply want to be treated as equal citizens. Meanwhile, massive protests continue in California. I have a, a video on my website at RatherLive.com. It shows something that happened in SoCal. Apparently, there's a little old lady standing by herself protesting, and she was kind of ganged up upon. Well, no, wait, an old lady protesting... Uh, she w- she is for the ban on gay marriage. She's against gay marriage. She's the only one there, a little old lady. And uh, a group of people, uh, the said daughter, take her sign and throw it on the ground and uh, stomp on it. And then when they're trying, the reporters are trying to interview the old ladies, there was a scuffle with the cameraman and the reporter. And these are sort of militant, uh, militant, not not part of the entire group, but just a handful. A a non-representative extremist slice. Correct. Um, And that sort of shades of the 80s. I remember during the 80s there was a queer nation and ACT UP. Yeah. Got really notorious and were not looked upon with favor uh, by the rest of the gay community uh, because they would do things like go into church services and they would, you know, and they would like, throw condoms at, at the priest and, you know, whatever. And, just about, and it, you know, and I know that it, people are on all kinds of sides uh, of the issue. I mean, there's, you know, there's folks who are for Prop 8, and then there's you know, the folks who are for equal rights. And then even though on... And there are little splinter groups yeah. in every group. Yeah, even on... Some people go too far, and some people feel that they don't go far enough. That's the thing. Side. Yeah, even on that side of the issue, there's people who feel like militancy is the only way, and then there's people who, uh, you know, feel that, you, you know, you've got to... One must take a more nuanced approach to it. Um this actually is a, is a really good time to mention something. We talked about this very briefly yesterday, but uh, I think the new issue, we got it here in our hands, the new issue of the Willamette. You didn't mishear that yesterday. Somebody actually said, they said, hey, I heard you. That, they thought that they had heard wrong yesterday. We said that uh, our good friend Byron Beck, who has been, uh, you know, who's been a friend of the show. He's been a big advocate of our show, too. Absolutely. Uh, he's been a friend of the show and a friend of ours for a long time. He's been a big supporter of the show, has, uh, you know, been on the show dozens and dozens of times. Um, if you pick up the new Willamette Week, which is the, uh, I don't even know what's on the cover of it. It's uh, like Gus Van Sant, about that Harvey Milk thing, the, the, uh, the movie that's coming up. Um, if you pick up the new Willamette and you turn to page 29, that is the last column, uh, presumably, that will be written by Byron Beck for the Willamette. Uh, they actually have a little blurb about it. Uh, there's a letter from the editor, sort of the state of the paper thing. And I guess, uh, you know, the, the, the cutbacks and, uh, economic uh, realities and forces. And it's going on everywhere in all forms of yeah. media. In all forms My of media. My friend works in, in a managerial position, and the, they had to fire 15% of their staff today. And, and, and it's scary because you hear, like, it sounds like a scapegoat, the economy, economy, but holy crap, it's, like, getting really close to home. It does, and and, and in fact, it has with, with Byron, certainly. So, um, you know, and obviously Byron is, uh, you know, Byron is a you know, big name and beloved. He's a big name in town. And beloved by a lot of people. Um, and, you know, and to be fair, they make the statement that they, they were difficult choices to make, but I guess regardless, the choice was made. But the point is, you can read Byron's last column, uh, for now anyway, uh, in, in the Willamette, uh, page 29. Uh, and I have to say this, and this is all I'm going to say about it, um, that, it, it, you know, obviously we're, you know, we are, you know, sad that Byron is not going to be writing there. I have no doubt he's going to land on his feet. He's a big name. He's got a lot of recognition. People love him. He's a good writer. So, you know, Byron will turn up somewhere. I talked to him yesterday, and he said that, uh, you know, he loved working at the Willamette, was disappointed that it, you know, that it came to an end. Wasn't quite sure of his next move specifically, but that uh, we will undoubtedly hear more from him because, again, he's uh, you know he's uh, he's resilient and people love him. 
And people with big names in town generally stay in town. Absolutely, and they, you know, any anybody would be uh, anybody would be foolish not to hire him at this point. So when you when you look though at page twenty nine of the new Willamette, if one must have a last column, you could do worse than to go out this way. He has a uh, he has a column about the, the gay marriage uh, thing and Prop Eight in California and the struggle for equality. And there is really a truly beautiful photograph at the top of uh, Byron and his partner Juan holding their uh, their domestic partner mm. partnership uh, certificate, talking about how in Oregon at least they can be domestically partnered but not married yet. But it is a really beautiful photograph of the two of them. So uh, anyway, so we will hear from Byron again. So uh, we will uh, we will talk to him down the figurative road. Shall we do the top five, Sarah? Yes. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here is your top five for Wednesday. Four, three, two, one. Fire. Counting is wonderful, counting is marvelous, counting's the best thing to do. Counting is happiness, counting is ecstasy, I love to count, don't you? On the heels of similar lists by Sarah Dillon and Rick Emerson, we continue to ponder the cinematic rendering of human existence, specifically the biopic. And what is such a dramatic depiction without the aid of music? Well, that's a question. Not a declarative sentence. These are the top five songs. Sorry. <laughs> I hadn't had if my coffee. Not, if it's not written there, I'll read it the way it's written. Go off yourself, Sandy. Uh, <laughs> these are the top five songs. That would accompany the opening credits to the film. You've done all giggly. Life, I know. These are the top five songs that would accompany the opening credits to the movie of Tim Riley's Life. Honorable mention, theme from Route 66. Now, you didn't specify which version you wanted, uh, so I just want the Nelson Riddle. That's the one I was thinking. Yeah. Well, see, there you go. Do I know you, Tim, or do I know you, I Tim? I guess you do know me. So this is, of course, the uh, the opening credit sequence where you are motoring down the Pacific Highway, black and white, uh, you know, uh, and then a uh, you know stylish top-down convertible. Actually, a Chevy Cobalt left time with the GPS system. And uh, I'm and the I, only Chevrolet on Pacific Coast Highway. And the long helicopter shot of you going down the highway, and then it says in that cursive script across the screen, Tim Riley in the Tim Riley story. I'm leaving forever and will never return. Wait, to but whom are you speaking? To be the beginning of the movie. Oh, well, never mind. I take that back. Where are you going in this opening? Where would you be headed, you know, in the opening credits of this film? I will be heading into Los Angeles. All right. City of Angels. This is quite a, this is a great song. It, it really is. is. I haven't heard this forever. Nelson Riddle, of course, uh, Game Pen. He was the guy who arranged most of Frank Sinatra's hits. This is great. Top five songs that would accompany the opening credits to the film of Tim Riley's Life. Number five, Like a Prayer, Madonna. This is really, uh, of course, one of the all-time great songs. This is the video version here. It is. It's amazing. This song is almost 20 years old. And if you look on YouTube, it has zillions of hits on it. Totally. That's still one of the greatest videos mm -hmm. ever. Yep. Okay, so I'm, uh, I'm playing this off YouTube right now. Mm -hmm. I know I say this every time. She's so hot in this video. Oh, yeah. I was doing that sexy black Jesus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hottest Jesus ever. And she's like kissing his feet, and then he turns into a real beautiful black oh, man. That is right. You know, she doesn't always have the beauty mark. That beauty mark on Madonna comes and goes, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Wow. 
I, she is so impossibly beautiful in this video. And if you haven't seen the Like a Prayer video for a while, I encourage you to go on the Internet and watch it. Because she's got that, you know, she's got that kind of red dress, very low cut with, the, like, the little spaghetti strap things. And she has, like, the dark, like, wild hair, right? Like, uh, yeah, she's sort of very, lots of body, like an auburn, like a dark auburn hair. And then, uh, I mean, the dress goes all the way down to the ankles there. And then it's, uh, she's wearing a cross. It's not a crucifix. She's wearing a cross. Lots of sequences in this video where she's got to either lean over or raise her arms. Uh, and then uh, it, it, she really does look incredibly bosomy in this video as well. See, here she's kissing the feet of the sexy black Jesus. Mm-hmm. Seriously, I look. Nah, never mind. Yeah, I was going to say stop. something creepy. Stop. Well, you can, you can take me out of the movie and put Madonna in if you want to. <laughs> really? Sure. I'm sorry. I've completely, I've completely stopped talking about you and your movie. I've just talked about how. I, I feel the same way. Just talk about how hot Madonna is in this video. I can be cut out of my own movie and you can replace me with Madonna. I hate to say this, and I know that. Look, I know that you just saw Madonna and she put on a great show. She looks a little gristly right now, it, from my taste. She just looks a little too. A little too scrawny and muscular. I mean, this is really... Look, and I know everybody gets older, but... She looks soft. She looks... Yeah, she looks very, uh... She looks very huggable. But you know, she can still move. I have no doubt about that. All right, I gotta... I gotta quit. I I really am. I'm transfixed. She's a siren, Tim. These are the top five songs that would accompany the opening credits to the film of Tim Riley's life. Number four, A Moment of Truth from Survivor. I don't think I know this song. It's from Karate Kid. (gasps) Wait a minute. Is it? Yes. Is it? Are you? Is it? In fact, yes. the Karate Kid? Yes, I am. That in my own mind. <laughs> I haven't. Can I? I'd be honest. I haven't seen the Karate Kid in probably 15 years. I don't think I've ever seen it. <gasps> Watch it tonight. I'm not a boy. Shut up! It has nothing to do with being girls. a boy. That's it. You can't use that as an excuse. I'm, it's not okay. Rocky. Okay. I have seen Rocky. I mean, I saw it a million times when it came out. I don't think I've seen uh, the original Karate Kid for a long time. I just don't think I've ever been interested in karate. It, it, so that's why the titles always kind of put me off. That has nothing... I know! That's like saying... It's like reading a book by... They're judging a book by its cover, I know. I mean, that's like saying you wouldn't be into... Uh, that's like saying you wouldn't be into, like, uh, Choke because you're not into theme parks. You know? I knew somebody wouldn't see Chasing Amy because she said you didn't read comic books. And I was like, oh, come on! I just wanted to slap her. And you don't like seeing people being chased. Well, maybe I'll sing my CD game exchange. It's a great kid. movie. Karate Kid 2 is better, but this is, is still a fun film. No, that's Karate Kid 4. You shut oh. your mouth. <laughs> By the way, it should be noted before everybody starts emailing me about it. Yes, I know that Will Smith is, is remaking Karate Kid with his son. Everybody's talking about that. Will Smith is casting his son in a Karate Kid remake. Nepotism. Number three, Kung Fu Fighting from Carl Douglas. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry, from karate to Kung Fu, Tim. I Kung like Fu Fighting. Why would, now, what made this important to the list? Why would this be the opening credit song to your movie? It is overcoming adversity. Really? Yes, I think so. I mean, imagine yourself on the max trade, defenseless. Then you get martial arts training. Then you are the king of the max. (laughs) Then you are the king of the max. That's right. No one has ever said that phrase before either. Well, my movie's an original. It's sure is, biopic. I'm picturing the guy having like, oh, I, I, okay, so that's true. So these are things that actually apply to you in your real life. Yeah. This is sort of different from Sarah's list in which she was like a robot or something. Uh, no, was, something. I was a robot. There were sort of fanciful plots. Correct. This is based on your actual life. Well, I don't have to make things up. I'm picturing like the sort of kung fu guy having you snatch the pebble from his hand. And then he says, how is this at, from Tim Riley's actual life if it's a kung fu fighting? You well, never know how powerful I might be behind the scenes. That is true. 
You know, when you leave here, you, you could know, be some sort of arch criminal. We wouldn't really know. Right. I could, you could actually... You could have mysterious past the pillow and stuff. Okay. You know, Tim, you could actually be a black belt for all we know. Yes. Hmm. Well, that's why we respect you. Mm-hmm. And also fear you. Well, you haven't worked with me that long to know. I'm just picturing the Kung Fu guy going, And now you will be the king of the max. All right, these are the top five songs that would accompany the opening credits to Tim, the movie of Tim Riley's life. Number two, Rock and Roll Band by Boston. I love this song. People here don't like Boston very much. No, but you know, the thing is, I've heard this I song a billion times. I've never gotten tired of this. This is still this first album, still classic. I love this song. Tim and I are both bobbing our heads because we rule. This is my As a Young DJ song. That was going to be is This is like the road to success, the early days. My, my days as a music director. I love this song. You know, I could do without some of the subsequent Boston albums, but this first album, man. And you're right, people here are kind of a hatred for Boston. I've never understood why. I guess it's the name of the city. It could have been Boston instead of Portland. Yeah. If the band was called Portland, they'd love it. You're right. I love this song. Good. We agree on something else. And it's got this great little drum feel coming up here. Right here. This great little... God, listen to that. And you know what? Tom Schultz created that guitar tone, too. He created that guitar tone. Excellent. Well done. These are the top five songs that would accompany the movie, the opening credits of the movie of Tim Riley's life. And last but not least at number one... Nobody does it better, Carly Simon, because nobody can. <laughs> Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen. And we hit the vocal. That's wonderful. Well, Tim, there comes a time when you got to drop false models to admit your greatness. I'm glad you like that Boston song. I thought I was the only one left on earth that Oh, no, 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 no. I love that. Well done. Tim Riley back at 4, 5, 6, and 7, top of the hour, all the way through Lycus. We're back after this on the Rick Emerson radio program. Saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson Show. All right. Uh, are we? When are we done? Now? Uh, in a couple minutes. Oh, we got like minutes. Wow, I don't even know what to do here. Should we listen to more than Mr. T? Can't we just go back and watch the Like a Prayer video again? All right. Um, and hear you talk about Madonna. I'm just fully. saying. Look, let me ask you this: What era of Madonna do you find to be the uh, the most attractive? When do you think she looked the hottest? I think she looked the coolest during her. Um, like her who's that girl phase. Like I, I really liked that whole trashy 80s. Madonna. Yeah, trashy, bangled, like just mess. Boy toy. I really think because that because nobody else was doing that. I mean, she, right. like she's created and she started that look for something that you know still even exists today. Right. No, that is a, all no, the bangles uh, and the lace and stuff. It's awesome. I will say that is actually my. Uh, I'll say that's actually my 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 follow up. You know, my, or my my runner up. That's my second favorite Madonna look. I mean, the like a prayer specifically. That's the best that she ever looked for me. But that early boy toy, trashy, and she had, like, the weird, um, you know, those, like, colored lace that she was tying her hair with. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, you know, I was exactly the right age that I went to school with a lot of girls who looked like that. I mean, because they, it's, you know, that doesn't really happen much anymore. Do girls now, 
I mean, I know there's Hannah Montana, whatever, but I mean, do girls dress up like Hannah Montana? I think so. I mean, not for Halloween, like just because. I don't know. I don't. I'm not really around kids. The only kids I'm around are like babies. Hey, it's interesting because you know, with you know, in terms of Madonna in that era, a lot of people looked. They dressed like that. The girls had all like the black. Like in Michelle's High School Reunion when they were totally. both going their face and they both dressed like Madonna. And they would wear like the metal thing that said boy toy and they would wear the arm full of black rubber band, you know, bracelet things or whatever. So, um, anyway. Uh, Richie, should I take any of these before we end or should the, what should we do? Should I take any of these at the end of the program or are they crap? Uh, I think it's good. Something's good. All right. Last call of the day. Please don't suck. God, Rick, thanks so much for taking my call. Yes. I was just wondering, um, me and my friend Ethan are tremendous followers of the program. Yes. And... <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional or not. Uh, I hope well, we're going to call that the uh, we're going to we're going to call that the end. All right. Uh, we're going to thank CNN radio correspondent uh, James Roof, who we actually didn't get to. We'll talk to him tomorrow. Julie Walker and, of course, Lisa Desjardins, as well as Justin from Bacon Salt. Dot com. Uh, also, tomorrow we'll talk to Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com uh, and so forth. We talked to anybody else today? No, I think it was it. All right, Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day for the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dylan for AM Live Saturday, the talker in the newsroom. Tim Riley, international man of mystery. Uh, in the, uh, on the phones, Richie Bristol, the gatekeepers, Dave Zinn, webmistress Bridget from upstairs, and of course, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan. Don't F with me, Reynolds. And Carl Click from K2 as well. That's who I couldn't quite remember. Sorry about that, Carl. I apologize. Um, like us next. Michael Mara's show at 7. See you all tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Be safe. What number is that? Bye now.